Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. Every once in a while, there is a moment in film that changes things forever. Al Jolson saying, you ain't seen nothing yet in The Jazz Singer. Dorothy stepping from sepia tone into technicolor in The Wizard of Oz. Luke Skywalker trusting the Force in his final run at the Death Star. And in 1999, the world froze and spun as a leather-clad heroine leapt into something called bullet time. The Matrix, to put it simply, changed everything. With groundbreaking special effects, incredible fight choreography, and a mind-bending plot, it was like nothing ever put on film before, or some would argue, since. If you haven't seen The Matrix, we highly recommend checking it out. And as always, if you want to purchase that film or any other we've discussed on The Cinephiles, you can do so on our website at cine-files.net. That's cinephiles.net. So, this Friday on The Cinephiles, John and I choose the red pill and enter the world of the Matrix. You're not going to want to miss this one. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> Thank you.
Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover actor, host, and now employed full-time at Collider Video. You are a producer, sir. I'm a producer as well, yes. I'm producing Collider Heroes, that show we do with John Schnepp and Robert Meyer Burnett and Amy. And uh, also writing on a few projects over there at Collider yeah. as well. So no, you're you're, you're expanding your your web of power <laughs> throughout the entertainment industry. Sure, sure. Today Collider, tomorrow the world. Sure, sure. I mean, what? <laughs> at least the state. How about and, to, that? and today we're doing a really what I think is a really big and a really important movie. Yeah, and it all comes from a suggestion from one of our Patreon subscribers, uh, Matthew Jasso. We are so grateful not only for your support but also for suggesting that we do this amazing film, yeah. which is The Matrix. Yeah, Matthew, thank you so much. And uh, Matt and I have been going back and forth for some time now, and so it's great to be able to do a film that he suggested. Yeah, and a film we we. We had mentioned only in passing possibly doing, but then all of a sudden it seemed like a good idea like to right do time. it. Yeah. yeah, and for all of you out there listening, if you want to suggest a film to us, you can do exactly what Matthew Jasso did, which is go to patreon.com slash thecinephiles and pledge your support. And uh, you have opportunities not only for special audio content and for uh, us to follow you on social media, but also to suggest a film that we do right here on the show, which is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, how'd you come to the to the Matrix? Ooh, the Matrix. Yeah, um, it was Tallahassee, 1999, I think, is when the film came mm-hmm. out, right? It was my second year there in uh, Florida State, and I remember that me, Mike Vogel, and a couple other people, because when did it come out? came out in the summer or in the fall? I think fall? it's the summer, but I'm yeah. not sure. I think we were all there going to, cl- going to school, summer school, and we had seen the trailers for this, and we went on an afternoon. I remember that specifically. And we sat in the the AMC Tallahassee Theater that's there, and we sat in the row where you could, where people could walk by. You know that area that's like the front row, separating two sections of the theater. And I remember that distinctly because when the movie was over, I shot out of my seat and was clapping like crazy yeah. at the movie because I'd never seen anything like it. And I had been excited by the trailers, but also a bit trepidatious because it was Keanu Reeves, it was sci-fi, it was all this stuff, and I wasn't sure where we were going to go with it, but. It blew me away, and it has always been one of my favorite films ever since then for so many reasons. Well, and this is one, as you say, this is definitely one where there never had been anything like it. No. This is a revolutionary film mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Um, so for me, by the way, I was thinking about it. For whatever reason, yeah. the fact that this movie is now almost 20 years old, <sighs> this one makes me feel really old. <laughs> I don't know why this one in particular, but it just doesn't right. feel like this should be an 18-year-old film right or 19 year old film right 18 i guess um yeah it just it just feels weird yeah um so i was living in los angeles and i was opposed to seeing this movie at first Ooh, really because i remember i don't know, i don't think it was the trailer but maybe one of the commercials had come out uh-huh. and they had the clip where keanu reeves gets plugged into something and then says i know kung fu right and this pissed me off right because you're a martial arts guy yeah and so because to me like that you you skip the journey you know nobody should give you kung fu you have to go through all the steps and so i was like nope i'm not going to see it <laughs> cut to opening night i'm at the chinese theater and went to see it wow and it blew my mind yeah i mean it is one of those movies i remember walking out just as a huge because they did the martial arts right it yeah. got all the respect that it deserves mm-hmm. and because on in terms of camera, in terms of ideas, in terms of cinematography, in terms of the special effects, all of which we're going to get into, this is a, just a remarkable, amazing film. Yeah. Yeah. Just blew me away. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about it. We got to start with the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they said about this movie is this is the screenplay they wrote after doing the film Bound, uh, which right. I remember seeing, which is a really interesting film. Fantastic film. Gina Gershon, uh, Joey Pantaleone, yeah. and uh, 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 oh, I forget what her name Gina Gershon. Oh, Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, they wrote this script after. And what they said is they took all of their love of comic books and kung fu movies and Japanese animation and every single idea they ever thought was cool and mm-hmm. stuffed it into this one script and leather and leather yeah vinyl and yeah all and all sorts of uh special kinds of coolness <laughs> yes um the producer is joel silver this is our third movie talking about joel silver also produced die hard and lethal weapon yeah. and a lot of other films Man's I mean, that's a, die hard lethal weapon and the matrix you could die on that resume alone that is amazing yeah um and uh you know the wachowskis are going from a five million dollar budget on a fairly independent film up to a budget that started at 65 million and then really went up to 100 million that's wow. a, that is a big jump yeah yeah um they shot in australia cool. um and that helped them in two ways one is it helped them in terms of taxes because there were tax incentives sure. in australia that made making the movie cheaper but i think the other thing that really helped them and they talked about this was distance allowed them to work without supervision oh you know so they didn't have if they were shooting in los angeles and you're first time I mean not second time directors but first time big action movie directors well you're going to have the studio breathing down their neck right now the studios across on the other side of the planet so I think that really helped them out well that happened with uh, I remember that happened with Wind Talkers John Woo mm. John there's if John Woo hadn't gone so crazy over budget when he was shooting down in Hawaii or down where was he shooting someplace where he was far away from the studio I think maybe it was Hawaii but he, if he hadn't gone so far over budget they wouldn't have demanded that he bring the production back to LA mm. and they had a guy on on set every day who he had to run every shot through financially. Uh, it was insane. And if he hadn't done that, I would have never gotten my SAG card. I would right. have never got. So it's interesting how things work out it's in good a certain for you. way. It was great for me. Maybe not good for the film. Probably not good for the film in the long run because the film itself didn't turn out to be so well. But that's what happens. The studios, when they, they, they want to be on top of you if you're spending their money. And no surprise. Well, it's just a hard thing because, yeah. you know what? When someone's putting up the money, they have a right. You know, if you say, I'm going to give you $50 million to do this and you're going to spend 80 Yeah. Well, that's $30 million out of my pocket. Exactly. I should be able to get in there and say something. On the other hand, the last person you want is a bean counter watching every single shot. Exactly. Telling you what you can and can't do. Right. That's not the way to make good art. Um, should we get into the movie? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Right from the beginning, we start with green logos. Yeah. Right off, we're starting that this is going to be different, and the cops are moving in on Trinity, mm-hmm. Carrie Ann Moss. This is her first movie. Is her first feature film? Her, I think so, if, or okay. at least her first big role. She'd done a lot of TV. Certainly her first lead role, that's yeah. for sure. Because yeah. I never, had never recall her seeing it anything until I saw this movie. And she literally, in this opening scene, dominates yeah. in this... Like, like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this before. Just, just the whole opening is something you'd never seen before in yep. any kind of sci-fi film. The idea of these guys dressed in suits, it's all dressed the same, with the sunglasses at night. The cop, You get the cops giving them guff. But then you get this, and he's the perfect casting with Hugo Weaving. He's great. The voice is just so perfect. Yep. Lieutenant, you were given specific orders. Hey, I'm just doing my job. You give me that jurors, my diction crap. Cram it up your ass. The orders were for your protection. <laughs> I think we can handle one little girl. I sent two units. They're bringing her down now. No, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. 
and then we get this incredible fight scene and the angles which was the Kowski shot you know it's very noir-ish in a lot of ways and of course like you said the greenish hue and this is all when computers are starting to really take hold in the culture right. pop culture mainstream where it is massively important to learn about computers know about computers they're becoming more and more used at colleges all these kinds of things yep. and so they hit it's a it's a cultural zeitgeist to hit at the right, right time it's right at the beginning of yep. the internet. It's yep. right, yeah. It's all these things are happening, and this movie I really think is at the sort of the the change moment between the way films used to be made and the way films are going to be made. Yeah, that's a great. In point. terms of the use of computers within the film, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's eighteen years ago, so yeah. the CGI and things like that are really in its infancy. It still holds um, up. Um, and uh, and one of the things too is because they're comic book guys is that they storyboarded this like a comic book yeah. and uh, used two guys in particular Steve Scorsi I think that's Scorsi I don't okay. know how to pronounce his name and the great Jeff Darrow mm-hmm. uh, as, as two artists that they brought in and Scorsi it seems more like was for all the action sequences mm-hmm. and if you go online and maybe we'll post some of this up on our Facebook page is that you can see some of the storyboards and the storyboards are just exactly what the fight scene are yeah and that visual style you see right from this trinity fight right at the beginning and we've never seen anything like this nope yeah because like she's she's frozen in in, in midair as the camera turns to the side like the camera moves in that when those moves said you, you'd never seen that kind of stuff in a feature film before and then you see her all bathed in leather which gives that kind of badass right. vibe to it but here's the deal she's and this is what's interesting about the film now watching it 18 years later Real people are dying. Real people are getting their butts kicked. And you have to, you're, you're, at this point in the film, you don't know what the conceit is that we are living in a fake world. Like, you don't know that at the time. So she is kicking these human beings all over the place. Well, and it's amazing. Well, well, and this is one of the key questions of the film is, yeah. or that I think is, are they actually killing people? I don't know. I kind of think they are. Right. You know, if you die in the Matrix, apparently right. you die in real life. Like, is that cop some guy sitting in a pod somewhere yep. who just died yep. because she just killed him? Exactly. You know, and we and and we don't really get to know. No mm. one really tells us. Right. And we have to go back to this 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 shot of she jumps up and the camera swoops around her. Yeah. This is the first use of bullet time in mm. a film, and bullet time is this technology invented for the Matrix. It is fascinating, yeah. and the science involved in making these shots happen is off the charts amazing, and they will never do it again. Yeah, because now we ju- now we just generate it all on a computer. Mm-hmm. But then they set up, and, and you can watch stuff on YouTube and see how this is actually done. But basically, it started because the Wachowskis had this idea in their head of what if we could see humans moving in slow motion, but the camera move in fast motion. Mm-hmm. And their first idea, and this is actually true, they said maybe we could put like a rocket on a camera on a dolly. So the camera would be so fast (laughs) that it would do this effect. Like, no, we can't. We would kill people. We can't do that. And then they find this guy whose name is John Gaeta. And he seems like a mad genius. Okay. And he is the guy who invents this idea. And what he does is that he takes still cameras, all computer controlled, and they're all ranged out where the camera was going to be and all are triggering super fast at exactly the right moments. Have mm-hmm. you seen some of this stuff? Yes. How it works? Okay. Yeah. It's it's And what they did was to do it, they had to create a pre-visualization CG model where they designed it. And then from that, they're getting to the millimeter, mm-hmm. every single camera position exactly exactly where it's aimed they create this box that has little targets on it for where to aim each of those cameras right they're each computer controlled to trigger at exactly the right time and that's how they construct this and and when that camera does that first bullet time move it is as you say like nothing we've ever seen in film i just remember that after that scene was all over i just remember thinking to myself this is i don't know what this is i don't know what this is 
it's so amazing. I don't know what this is. Yeah. And they're doing it's all done in front of a green screen. Mm-hmm. And then they they're creating the backgrounds are created in a computer, but they're created in a way that we don't do anymore. Today they would just create it in a computer. What they did was they had a built set, a real set, and they photographed that set to the most minute detail and yeah. then stitched those photographs together into the computer model. So it's it's really in a real space, but with all the controls you get from being in a three D computer space. Well and if you can create what you create in the matrix I wish we could, were still doing it movies that way because they it so works and it still holds up. Because yep. some of the CG in the Matrix Revolutions and in the Matrix Reloaded were so obviously terrible. And it just drove me nuts because if they had stayed doing that kind of way of doing, it might have helped those scenes a lot uh, to become more realistic. Well, you know? real shit is real. Yeah. And particularly humans. Yeah. And so now, now, 18 years later, computers have advanced so far and our ability to do this has gone so far. And now... You know, you go to watch a Marvel movie or something, and largely those fight scenes are all just computers. Yes. And they're really good. But there's something about Carrie Ann Moss or Keanu Reeves jumping in that bullet time yeah. that looks amazing. Yeah, agreed. And it's sad that that's... Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing, too, is now you don't have to have your actors spend four to six months learning Kung Fu. True. <laughs> because the computer's going to learn Kung That's Fu. That's right. You know? And they might have, you know, it's, I know like Chris Evans doing Captain America. I know he trains super oh, yes, hard and yes, does all sure, sorts of stuff. Of course. But it's still not maybe at this level. Or, or uh, uh, Christian Bale with Batman. All yeah. the Casey stuff you learned. Yeah. Um, and we see really cool things in this fight scene. Other than the bullet time, we see her run up a wall. We see great Kung Fu moves. We see, I mean, it's just, and every... One of the key things, and this we talked about in Jackie Chan, is that Jackie Chan knew how important it was to stick the landing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that you threw the big punch or the big kick. It was how you landed. And throughout this whole film, we're going to see people really stick the landing. Every pose, every moment is like right out of a comic book. Um, She runs out to escape. She's being chased by an agent. We see start to see this world, which is this really beautiful, deep black and contrasty world, where, as you say, everyone's in this leather. And you yes. know, I mean, this is as cool as you can get. Yep. Uh, the DP, by the way, is Bill Pope, Bill Pope, who's brilliant. And the movie just looks beautiful. And then we get our next big moment of something is weird, which is she does this huge jump. Amazing. Right. And it's very reminiscent of Vertigo. This running across the rooftop oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah totally. I, to me, I've always felt that was an homage to Vertigo because mm-hmm. the Wachowskis are, are very knowledgeable about film and uh, and they respect right. classic films. And you, when they do interviews, you can hear that in their in their answers. And so for me, I always felt that was an homage to Vertigo. This idea because Vertigo yeah. is also about being in a like uh, what is the real world because he's trying to create. Wow. Yeah. Yes, I never thought you're totally right. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. He's trying to create her out of what he thought was his real world when in, he's trying to live in a fantasy world while living in the real world. And it's like you see that happening throughout the movie so i always thought that was a nice shout out interesting yeah. if only jimmy stewart had known he was in the matrix he <laughs> might have been able to jump across that one and, and right. he would have had so much trouble and he would have some looking down with the big eyes of his yeah. yeah um she does this super cool dive through a window rolls down these stairs hits the ground two guns drawn and this is by the way the two guns drawn they also love john woo yes you know you mentioned him before course. yeah we yeah love john woo and there's just this moment of her going get up ready Get up. This is a fascinating moment. And people don't talk about Carrie Ann Moss like they talk about Sigourney Weaver. They talk about these other female action stars. Yes, it was Keanu Reeves' journey, but she was kick-ass through all three of these oh, films. Yeah. And she does not get enough love for what she did. Yeah, when she rolls down there, throws, and then that, that part of her hair covers her one of her eyes, and she says, get up, Trini. That's a vulnerable moment. You get the first 
you get this window into this person is not just a badass; she's a human being. Yep. Like, and, you know, and I like that. I love that. That's right, right in the opening battle. Yeah, and uh, she runs to this phone, gets yeah. on the phone, disappears just as a truck slams into her, mm-hmm. and then Agent Smith goes out, comes out of the truck. We're in a movie. Yes, you know what I mean. Like yeah. you're like, whole I. There was nothing like this, right? And you're like, how did he get in the truck? What is the what is that? So, and we'll find out as the film goes along. But like in that moment, you're like, how did he get in the truck? How did he know that she was going to end up there? There was all kinds of questions. Well, this goes to something that's I've said multiple times on the show, but mm-hmm. is that all all good movies are mysteries? Yeah, is that I want to know what's what the fuck is going on? Exactly. If you feeling that way, that's going to propel you into a movie. Don't explain everything. We don't need to explain stuff. We're going to figure it out as we go. If you're a good storyteller. Yeah. We will figure out as we go along, and you'll, you'll know exactly how to let us figure it out. So, uh, let's meet Neo. Yeah. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Um, he's working on a computer. And let's talk a little bit about Keanu Reeves. Sure. This is a guy that's gotten a very bad rap, particularly, I think, in 1999 and, and, and in the seven or eight years after. That was my tre- That's why I had yeah. trepidation about going to see this movie, whether he was the right guy, right choice as an actor. Because he, he still had the Bill and Ted stuff yeah. on him, even though he was great in Speed, which mm-hmm. had been a couple of years earlier, two or three years earlier. He'd had these films, like A Walk in the Clouds or whatever. So my, my concern was that maybe he wasn't the right guy for a sci-fi film like this. And damn, if he wasn't fantastic in this well, movie. I think, like... The knock on him was like, oh, this is... I think the, the Bill and Ted image yeah. was so powerful that, that everyone just thought that's who this was. Right. And then he does... Uh, he's in um, not uh, in the Kenneth Branagh Shakespeare. Oh, um, yes. Where he's terrible. Yes. And... Uh, oh, you think of the right thing? No, no. He's in Coppola's... Oh, yeah, and Much Ado About Nothing, but then he's also in Coppola's Dracula and gets destroyed for that, for his terrible accent and acting in that. And this is the thing. Here's my feeling about him. My respect for him has gone up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think is that most people think that acting is talking. Right. And that and being able to deliver lines. And if acting is talking, if that was all it was, yeah, Keanu's not the best actor. Right. He's not great. But acting is not talking. Mm-hmm. I think as a physical actor, as a presence who is able to move through a film, not just to do the martial arts, which he's great at, yeah. but the whole thing, being able to react, listen, look, move, convey emotions he's a great actor there's an earnestness to him that you can't help but enjoy even when he's terrible in his movies you're almost cheering for him to be better you're not cheering for him to get out of the movie that's the difference i think some right. people are terrible and you're just like oh god why do they keep casting this guy while other people are not good and it's it's more about um that you feel as an audience you want to cheer for this guy so you want him to be better right Point Break's not a really well acted movie overall right. but it's a fun time with these two guys Swayze's great yeah. but Keanu is one step behind him not just as the characters but also as an actor and you can see that and so that's why you're right Steve he has grown in stature grown right. in respect in the film community no one makes jokes about him anymore his abilities yeah. or because we've seen him play so many different roles over the last 20 years yeah um, so uh, we meet Neo. He's a computer hacker. He's lying in this bed. He does something that seems to be somewhat illegal. Yeah. Um, and we get the computer pops up uh, the screen and it says, wake up, Neo. The Matrix has you. Follow the White Rabbit. Yeah. And this Alice in Wonderland is another theme that kind of goes through this film. Absolutely. Um, going down the, uh, what is it? The, through the looking glass. Through the looking, we're definitely going to go through the looking glass. Yeah, eventually, and, yeah. and we're also going to go through rabbit holes. Yes. You know? Um, and uh, someone shows up at his door. They want some illegal programming something. Sure. They invite him to go out he doesn't want to do it and then this girl who's invited out turns her shoulder and we see a white rabbit on her shoulder yeah and he goes okay 
this is actually the part of the movie I always forget. Oh yeah, you know, I just like, oh yeah, we go and we go to some club, mm-hmm. and there's there's Trinity, and uh, she, and he's heard of her, and she mentions Morpheus. Yeah, the names are great. Neo, which means new. Yeah. Trinity is the th- three, you know, the the mm-hmm. Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Right. Um, and Morpheus, which is of course dreams. Yeah. Um, it's all they're all significant. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and one of them, you maybe should have suspected your bad guy just from knowing his name. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but he was so. What's so great about this scene too is there's a genuine beginnings of some of sexiness to Carrie Ann Moss's performance here. Yeah, oh, she's yeah. badass at the beginning, but there's a sexiness to her now, a composed uh, kind of guy that her voice does really, really well in this uh, part as well. You know, you, she's tell, she's whispering to him because he's trying to like be like, whoa, you're amazing because you did this and you hacked. And she's like, that's a, that was another life, you know? And yeah. all this thing, she's trying to get him to understand what's happening. Right. I know why you're here, Neil. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep, why you live alone, and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us here. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did. What is the Matrix? And I remember this from the trailer. I remember watching that trailer, and the, in the trailer, Morpheus says, no one can tell you what the Matrix is. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advertising. It really is. I'm a little like, why not? <laughs> of course, you're an inquisitive guy. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, why couldn't someone just say it's this? This is what it, you're all living in pods. He's got to show you. Yeah, you get, you really won't believe him until he shows you. Yeah. Uh, Neil goes off to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... Uh, his suit doesn't quite fit him well. That's just a lovely little, yeah. you know, uh, design thing. And and this is where we really start to see this world that Neil lives in. It's this, the architecture is monolithic. Yeah. It's with these deep blacks. Everything has a greenish tint. Mm-hmm. Everything is on grids. Everything is very ordered. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of color variation in this world. It is very, very and, and it's all shot in wide lenses. Mm-hmm. It's very, very... Uh, not only well designed, but it's well planned out. And this is where you go, man, the, the Wachowskis are so in control of their medium on yeah. their second film. Yeah. It's amazing. It's fascinating. And you you get the beginnings of this guy, you know, his boss is yelling at him. He's like, if you do this again, like you don't you don't seem to kind of want to take it seriously what you're doing. And this relates because in this 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 is who they were targeting. These people in their twenties who were working these like they were told to get these jobs, they were told to live their lives, they were told this is how you do things now in this world. And they're starting to rebel. And this movie captures that time with that generation of pushing back against authority. The whole film is a subversive film about this idea of being told what to do from beginning to end. Even his last dialogue that he's last voiceover is about that. So you see this beginnings of him rebelling against authority. He's a hacker. He shows up late because he was like whatever happened to him and he woke up and he's late and he goes back into this situation and now he's at this place and he's getting yelled at by this boss so he knows he's smarter than and he's he's and this guy is like real smarmy in a way he almost reminds me of the french guy we'll see we'll see later in the next two sequels mm. the merovingian and so he ends up back at his desk well and to me this scene is always reminding me of another movie that came out in the same year mm. which is fight club 
Yeah, is absolutely that, his, that relation, guy. his relationship yes. to his boss and his job is very much like Neo. Mm-hmm. I'm a person locked into a cubicle in a gray world mm-hmm. going, is this, is, is this my life? Mm-hmm. And that boss offers him the first of what I think are many, many choices. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who has this responsible job or do you want to go off and do whatever the hell you want to go off? Right, right. Um, and then uh, Neo gets back to his desk. The phone rings. Morpheus. Hello? Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Morpheus. Yes. I've been looking for you, Neo. I don't know if you're ready to see what I want to show you. But unfortunately, you and I have run out of time. <laughs> um, I love this sequence. It's really great. And uh, he sees the cops. He sees the agents coming in. And Morpheus goes, do exactly as I say. And I don't know. You know, Morpheus knows, apparently knows where these agents are going to be, right. where they're even going to look. He makes his way through. Uh, and and the, again, and then we get to this moment of now you have to go out on this window <laughs> and go across the scaffold. And again, I think it's they keep presenting Neo with choices. Mm-hmm. Either go inside of society in which case he's going to get grabbed by the agents right. or jump out of society and become a rebel, in which case he's going to go on the scaffold. Right. Once again, this idea of do what they tell you to do or take a chance to live a, a more unique life. You know. Well, and this is why, this is this thing, and we're going to come back to this a lot, because this movie does what I believe passionately movies are capable of doing mm-hmm. and almost never do. Which is this is a balls to the wall exciting action film Absolutely. that is about deep shit. Yep, and the 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 general consensus is you it's either or you can either have exciting thrills and action and be about almost nothing, right. or you can be deep in which case there's no action and people aren't going to want to come see your movie. Right, and this movie is dealing with conformity and society and the rules that are created for it. I mean, like, you know, if we can say that, yes, there's the, the matrix is all a computer construct, or we can also say that, oh, we all live in a constructed world where rules have been chosen for us that we're not part of. And we all feel like that sometimes. Right. Like, right. why am I here? Is, you know, there's like, it's like the great talking heads uh, once in a lifetime, once a life, yeah. you know, like, this is not my beautiful house. <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. It's like, how did I get here? Right. You know, that is such a thing that you can see Neil feeling. And I don't know any human I've ever talked to who has not at some point gone, how did I get here? Oh, yeah. What is course. this world I live in? Um, so Neo has the choice between go out on that scaffold or turn himself in. He doesn't go out on that no, scaffold. He He's not ready to. It's not time. No, it's not time. So he ends up in this great interrogation scene. Yeah. Man, Hugo Weaving. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives. In one life, you're Thomas A. Anderson, program writer for a respectable software company. You have a social security number, you pay your taxes, and you help your landlady carry out her garbage. The other life is lived in computers, where you go by the hacker alias Neo and are guilty of virtually every computer crime we have a law for. One of these lives has a future, and one of them does not. Just so good. Yeah. The pace, the uh, voice, everything. And Hugo Weaving, I had discovered, because a lot of people didn't know who he was. I had seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Okay, okay. And, people, that's, and that's all I knew. Yeah, I knew him. I had not seen Priscilla, 
I at the time I had IFC at Florida State, and they had played um, this film called Proof, which is a film Aussie film mm-hmm. where he's blind, oh. and he ha- and like there's this whole relationship that goes on through the whole film, and it he blew me away with what he's able to do. So when he showed up in this, I was like, wow, because he plays like such a different character, different status yeah. in Proof. To see him embrace this kind of villainous role, I was completely shocked. And of course, this is the role that opened the door, kind of like Christoph Waltz, to playing right, right. these kinds of villains and whatever. And you know, because he plays Megatron, or he voices Megatron, and of course, right. Red Skull in Captain America: First Avenger. So it's this is the great beginning. And he, you see the stack, and, and the room is clean, and it's like unsettling, even though it's clean. And then you see him like open things up. You lived two lives, Mister Anderson. Again. You know? A choice. Yes. Who are you going to be? Are you Mr. Anderson or are you Neo? Yeah. You know, and this is the choice he's faced with. And and uh, it's funny, like, apparently Hugo Weaving created that voice based on, like, 1950s television newsmen, like, you know, you know Walter Cronkite That's and great. those guys. And the Wachowskis, who have deep voices oh. or had deep voices. Right, I guess. there we go. Um, but, but, like, and if you listen to the talk, you can totally hear where uh, Hugo got this voice. How interesting. I mean, even from the moment he opens that binder, he's fascinating yes, to watch. Yes, he is, because he takes his time, yeah. and he's precise, as a computer program would be. Right. Right. Neo flips him off. Yeah, Neo totally snaps at him, and you yeah. know, that's his, his authority, yeah. And they say, well, how are you going to make that first phone call without your mouth, <laughs> or when you can't speak? This shit freaked me out. Of course it did. Yeah, of his course. mouth seals over... He drops back. I mean, it's really, really scary. Well, it's the symbolism of erasing your voice. Authority erasing your voice. That's yep. what that is. It's authority saying yep. you, your voice no longer matters. Your voice is irrelevant, and I'm going to shut your mouth without you, against your will. It's, it's powerful. Yeah. And then he wakes up. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was just a dream. Well, not 100%. Because what they do is they strip him half naked. Oh, I'm sorry. You're they, right. They, they I, drop right. that thing. God, how could I not how right. could I forget to put that yeah, well, in? I would imagine you forget because it's a horrific thing to witness. It really is. Yeah, it the, really the is little, a little tentacled spider type computer thing jumps out of uh, jumps out of that tube and then uh, you know sprouts its tentacles and burrows itself right into his stomach, into his belly button. And I think, to me, once again, it's very reminiscent of Khan. I wonder if this is... Also, another like thing of from sure. Khan going in and controlling his yeah. mind. Like this is a thing to control where he's at, so they can monitor him constantly. So we get this vibe right after this happened. Though happens though, as is happening, that this is a special guy for some reason because both sides want him for some for whatever reason. Yeah. It's the beginnings of this idea that this guy is special for some reason. Yeah. Well, and it's always funny to think about to take always take a moment with this film and think about well, what's actually happening? Yeah. Because what's actually happening is Neo's in a pod. And yes. none of these things are happening to right. him. And that a computer program is trying to get him on the straight and narrow mm-hmm. where someone else is hacking into that software to try to get him somewhere else. Yeah, he's the battlefield for these two yeah. uh, uh, ideologies. Yeah. So because when we see him wake up from a dream, we, we are first time seeing the movie yeah. going, wait, was that real? Was that a dream? Right. How did we get from here to there? When in fact, what has happened is he's been shown a computer software yeah so dream or not dream really has no reality there's no that doesn't exist exactly you know? and this moment is also a great example of the score of the really fantastic score in this film because you see it built in this moment up until the point where he wakes up and he hears the alarm and whatever and he's freaking out looking at his stomach to seeing what just happened to him but the score builds in that moment like, da, 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 and he's like screaming through a closed mouth it's just so perfect the uh, dread 
the score is great. The soundtrack is by Don Davis, and it really uses a lot of things that were just happening musically at the mm-hmm. time, which is you know the rise of sort of EDM and yeah. that just sort of driving beats. And while those things are really common in film today, they weren't so common in film in 1998. Yeah, or 99. Yeah, I mean, even that opening dance scene where he goes to the club with White Rabbit—that's that sounds like a lot of prodigy music going on. There. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and there's a nice mix of songs yep. and soundtrack that happened in this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of both of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. So he wakes up and we hear from Morpheus that he's the one. Yeah. This is a weird thing that happens in the film is that there seems to be this weird, like, we're going to tell you right from the beginning you're the one and also resist. Oh, don't tell him he's the one. Yeah, right. It's like, I'm pretty sure he knew. We told him right at the beginning. And there's a, you know, like, you're going to go outside and get picked up, which he decides to go. Yeah. And he makes this time he makes the choice to go, gets in a car with Trinity. Mm-hmm. And they say, we got to get rid of the bug. Mm-hmm. I love that this machine that they have to suck the bug out of him plugs into the lighter in the car. But and this go and also this goes back to your point that you've been bringing up, Steve. He says, "Well, she says, take off your shirt." And he goes, "Why?" She goes, "We don't have time for twenty questions." And he goes, "All right, stop the car." Yeah, it's either my way or the highway is which our way or the highway. And so he says, "All right, stop the car." So he stops the car. He opens the door, and it's perfectly placed to look down a street. All the way at the end, and, yeah. and it's and Trinity says to him as he's about to get out of the car, she grabs his arm. She says, "You've been down that street. You know what's at the end of that street. Right. We're offering you something different. Again, a choice. A choice. Stay in the car or walk down that street. You know what's at the end of that street. It's nothing. It's more questions, and you know that it will not. It will not satisfy you in the end. Well, and this is you know this is why this film." It like Star Wars and mm-hmm. some other ones taps into that classic hero's journey, and the reason hero's journeys like this work is because I'm Neo. Yeah, I feel trapped in my world. Yeah. I want to make the choice to have something heroic, something that has meaning rather than meaninglessness that I feel all around me. Yeah. We all put ourselves there, you know, because we're all on this hero's journey. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't actually take the red pill, but no, we, take, we, we just but, take the blue pill. But and, that's what film satisfies that desire to believe that you could. Yeah. If the moment came for you. And that's, uh, this film does it so well. Yeah. And when they suck that, <laughs> whatever that thing is out of him, 
I think now he kind of remembers his dream. Yes. You know? And that's got to be a weird, like, oh, this is real. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, too, because I was thinking about this way. It's like, you know, showing Neo the crazy buggy thing and sticking it in his belly, that's not a way to have him go back to the real world. Right. Because you've just shown him that the real world is false on some level. That what he believes about how things work is not true. Right. It'd be much better to not show him that thing. Um, let's meet Morpheus. Yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. The great. I will say the great Lawrence Fishburne. Well, who would argue? Last time we saw him was on a boat going upriver. <laughs> 14 years old. 14 years old in, in Vietnam. Yes. Or really in the Philippines. Yeah. Man, what a great actor. Yeah. What a guy who is, once again, is another guy with incredible voice. You oh, know? yeah. Just very powerful and measured Everything that Hugo Weaving has as well, but in a different format. And it's yeah. great to see his the, the whole um, arms behind his back type thing, which is a very limber thing to do. Not a lot of people can fold their arms that way behind their back. All of that, the whole presence in the long black leather coat, all of that is there that just gives you that vibe. And those glasses, those sunglasses are so kick-ass. No... No uh, sides the clip on, on. Yeah, no, yeah, they're, they're clip awesome. on. They're fantastic. Yeah, they're awesome. Well, and I love, I love that the Wachowskis thought of him and I yes. love that he apparently read the script and went, this is the most, I'm in. Yeah. Like he knew right from the beginning that this is, and that they saw him, that he could be the great sensei master mm-hmm. person. And he saw in the film what the film could be. And they, and you know, because this was not easy for him yeah. or, or, or Keanu or Hugo Weaving or Carrie Ann Moss, like the level of physical discipline required mm-hmm. to make this film is, he says it's the, it's the hardest thing since Apocalypse Now. I'm sure. You know, like this is, you know, like serious, serious commitment and mm-hmm. that they all did it. And his performance is just amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so good mm-hmm. and wise and calm and still vulnerable and passionate mm-hmm. yeah he's great and the design we got to talk about the designs in this scene as we yeah. go into this hotel yeah uh, it is just absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. um and this is you know there's the Sidney Lumet quote we've talked about before where he said the job of the director is to get everybody making the same movie mm-hmm. and this is one where you can see that's happening yes because the cinematographer is talking to the effects people and the effects people are talking to the costume people and the costume people are talking to the art department people and it's all working together to mm-hmm. get one look mm-hmm. you see it in this scene yeah, absolutely yeah. I, I love the design of it it does give that vibe of an old uh, hotel but and it's breaking down and there's cracks in the walls and you see things being ripped off the walls yep. all of that stuff and you sit in the chairs but that's the way it's supposed to be because what it's it's an artifice being exposed for what it really is underneath, yeah. you know, yeah. which is exactly what this scene is about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that you said that. It never occurred to me, but you're that is what the <laughs> scene is. We are about to expose the artifice of the universe that you think you live in. Yeah. So why not do it in a hotel whose facade is falling to pieces? Right. Wow. Yeah. So we sit down with Morpheus and he starts to talk about really exactly what you've been saying. Yeah. You know, you feel as if your entire life, it's the feeling that brought you to me. You know, this feeling that something's not right. Yeah. And he's asking, do you want to know what it is? Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? And the, and this idea that this 
thing is all around him, this thing that we're calling the Matrix. And this is where, man, the Wachowskis are hooking right into deep spiritual stuff, mostly from Eastern philosophy, in particular like Hinduism and Buddhism, and they both use this concept of Maya, and Maya is the illusion of the world, and there's lots of different interpretations depending on what sect you are, everything from, you know, that a lot of the things that we believe that are important are not really important and then we're focusing on the wrong things all the way to the idea that all of the world is an illusion that every that you're an illusion i'm Mm -hmm. an illusion and that the separations between us are illusions and that we are in fact part of one great energy life force yeah and that we need to see past that in order to find peace and this is here we have morpheus dreams telling neo the new about this and (laughs) offering him a choice yeah Live in Maya, the world of illusion, live in the Matrix, or come to the real world. Yeah. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is like big stuff. Yeah, and I love that the shot of him holding the blue pill and the red pill is in one hand, but you see the blue pill in the left uh, sunglass frame and the right mm-hmm. pill in the right sunglass. That's just brilliant filmmaking. Just brilliant filmmaking, right? Well, Making yep. the choice even more obvious. Well, and Reflections is a thing that we're going to see throughout the film. Yes. You know, and you mentioned Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. We're going to see in eyeglasses, in spoons, mm-hmm. in walls, in water. We're going to see Reflections over and over again. That's and it. in here, in this moment, when yep. he takes the pill, when he chooses. Mm-hmm. And he said just before he takes it, Morpheus says, make sure you know what you're doing. Because right. there's no going back. I just have to stay, say this one more time. Yeah. Why can't Morpheus say, listen... Here's the thing. We're all batteries. You're in a pod. You're bald. There's a bunch. And if you take this, this is what's going to happen. What's wrong with you? It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah, but the whole nobody can tell you what this is. No, you could have told him. Right, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have had the same effect to show him. Cinematically, definitely. Well, I think in real life, too, because they can tell you all that stuff, but you don't know it until you see it, until you experience Agreed. it. Totally. To- 100% de- agree. It's a complete deconstruction of your entire world. Yeah. From the opening brick that was laid well, when you were born. this is why I kind of like, could, you could have given me a little heads up. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. You know exactly what's going to happen. Because they do overwhelm him anyway as soon as he oh, takes yeah. it. Because he touches that mirror and it starts to consume him, which is, again, what we were talking about through the looking glass. So, um, would you take the red pill? Absolutely. You would? Uh-huh. I always want to know the truth. It's the, te- it's the bane of my relationships and my friendships. What's the honest truth? That's all I ever want. Because then I can construct my world around your truth. If you lie to me, if you bullshit me, if you're trying to save my feelings, I cannot trust you. And that is a huge thing for me. Hmm. It's, it's the, it's, at times it has cost me people in my life. It has cost me, cost me relationships. But I like to know the truth. And in that moment, I need to know the truth. So to me, I would have taken it without any question. Because I have to know. Now... Yeah. Would I have later had feelings like Joey Pants does later in the film and wants to go back and taste a steak? Yeah. I mean, well, this yeah. Is, this I mean, is that's the thing. The thing. I, I, I go, you don't I, really know. You know, th- th- there's always things that comes up with a lot when we talk yeah. about films is there's the world of the movie and then they're sort of thinking about the world of the sure, movie. Sure. And in the world of the movie, of course, he has to take the pill and of course, we have to fight the agents and of course, we're, yeah, you yeah. know, we have to fight against slavery and oppression and all the things are true in this film. But I'm kind of going... If you're living in a perfectly constructed reality, yeah. 
what's the what, why is it better to live in the world where it's post-apocalyptic and everything's fucked up and you're eating gruel because it's the truth well this is the thing yeah you know is that would you rather have a fairly comfortable illusion now if if in my illusion people are being tortured and murdered and horrible things are happening yeah. that i'm not preventing then then that's a different question but if it's sort of just like which world would i rather live in the matrix or the real world the matrix looks better what if the matrix was in reverse and now see how things are happening now in our world that are so terrible right and things are happening uh globally not just in our country that it's so dis it just seems uh, exudes a lot of desperation and sadness and uh, would you take a pill to escape this world? That is a really good question. Well, that's the thing. No, I don't know. No? no, because because that would be running away from my responsibilities. Exactly. Yeah, but 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 I'm not sure that that's what's happening in the matrix. No, 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 no. But yeah, I, I think but I agree. Is, yeah, yeah, no. That's if someone said, you know, here, what if I give you a thing and you're just going to be happy and the mm -hmm. world's going to go to shit around you, but you're not going to know, right? Uh, but he was the right person for this because he is a, he is an explorer. Neo is an explorer. He wants to know. That's why he goes with the white rabbit. That's why he doesn't walk down that road. That's why he lets them take that thing out of his body. And that's why he takes the pill, because he has to know. Well, and on some level, the Matrix isn't working that well on him because he's suspected. Yes. He's been feeling this for a while. Exactly. You know, where some other people, maybe they're just kind of walking through their world. Right. All right. So he takes the red pill, and then we go into just this very trippy, he's going through some stuff. I love the shot where he looks at his reflection in the mirror, and his face is missing. It's, yeah. That is a really creepy shot sure. and then he touches the mirror and his fingers go through the mirror and the mirror starts to crawl up him and now we're getting into kind of a pa he's panicking because yeah. what the fuck is happening of to course me. but then they're also panicking because whatever the pill actually is because what's really happening is that there's a guy awake in a ship somewhere who's trying to track down or, or you know and they're all asleep in this ship yeah. and he's in a pod and they're trying to trace where he is in the pod right but if we don't do it in time he's gonna die yes Tank, we're going to need a signal soon. We got a fibrillation. APOC, location. Targeting almost there. He's going into arrest. Lock, I got him. Now, Tank, now. Which is just such a like great lesson of add some danger to your scene and create some tension. You know, it wasn't necessarily plot-wise, but it makes it much more exciting. Absolutely, and I love the sound effect here as the thing goes into his mouth because you hear the... Uh, uh, the uh, sound of like a modem turning on or that yes, whole sound yes. as it goes into his mind. I love that. And then he goes through the looking glass, yeah. down the rabbit hole, Whew. and wakes up in another world. Oh. This, I remember seeing in the theater and just my eyes just went wide my open. It's the war. It's like it's Giger stuff, which we talked yeah. about. It come to life. It has yeah. legitimately come to yeah. life in that way. And you know, all these tubes, and he's in this uh, embryo, uh, like embryonic fluid. Yeah. Whatever call it. What, what kind of? I guess that's right, isn't it? Embryonic. Sure. And he takes this huge thing out of his yeah, mouth. Yeah, because he's been walked. intubated, so he's right. taking that out. Oh, and all these different like pieces of. And then this thing comes down that uh, is horrific. Uh, computer thing or uh, whatever that thing is that comes down yep. and the machine that comes down rather and then it disconnects that thing behind in the back yep. of his head and then he gets shot down a shoot and what's great about this is the design of his body it is all wrinkly and white yep. because he has not been out in the world mm -hmm. so it like your like your skin does when it's been exposed to too much water it starts to wrinkle and you see that in him as he's going down through and he's bald it's yeah. fantastic and he had lost 15 20 pounds in order to do this wow. sequence yeah wow. um, which for he's not a big guy no no 
Oh, so so that's a lot. And this is really where we see this is Jeff Darrow. The, yeah. This is his designs. And yeah. I don't know how many people out there have seen Jeff Darrow's comic book art, but if you go, like, just go online and look <laughs> at a page from Hard Boiled. Oh yeah, he, his it is the most insane amount of detail you've ever seen. The mm-hmm. mind of this guy is amazing, and this world because because he really creates the. Uh, the real world, right? Is the Jeff Darrow look? I didn't know Darrow did hard boiled. Yeah, those big like oversized ones. Frank Miller books. My God, I have three of those. They're amazing. They are phenomenal. If you don't have those books, find those books. You will love the crap out of those books. I mean, visually, I don't know if they're the greatest stories. No, I but, don't care. But you turn every page, you could look at for a half an hour trying yeah. to see everything that's on them. They are amazing. Yeah, they are. Yeah. No, he's an amazing artist. Um, and he gets dumped down into this thing, and the ship comes up and grabs him, and he opens up his eyes, and there's Morpheus standing over him, who says, Welcome to the real world. That's so great. Even the way he's brought out, it's almost Christ-like from the way he's brought from the, yep. um, you know what I'm saying, from the water with that contraption. His arms are just splayed out and his legs are splayed out. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Like a child. Yeah. And, uh, and we have to kind of bring him back to health. And there's this crazy shot of him covered in acupuncture needles. Yes. And apparently, so the vast majority of them are on a prosthesis. They're not, that's not going to him, but some of those are real needles going into his head because <laughs> there wasn't a good way to do it. So they just had an acupuncturist go and stick needles in him. That's all right. I've done that. It's fun. <laughs> um, fun was not how I would describe acupuncture. acupuncture really? Yeah. I'd oh, I enjoy the shit fun. out of the cupping too. I enjoyed the cupping too. <laughs> I've seen, I know people who've done that. I've never done that one. I just love the challenge of physical stuff. I enjoy it. I I guess so. Um, and uh, and here's the thing I was thinking about watching it this time. It's like, okay, you've spent your life in the Matrix, mm. and you had a sense of sensations of what fabrics felt like and things smelled like and stuff was like, and now you wake up in this body. Is this body going to – is anything going to feel anything like what you felt yeah. through your whole life? Does this even feel like your body? That's a good question. Um, and, and, and this is where this movie sort of – you know, can the more you think about it, the more it's going to just fuck with your head. Yeah. Uh, so he's now on this ship, and we really find out that you know, Morpheus thinks he's the one. Yeah. We hear this phrase a lot, the one. Um, and I love what he finally kind of comes to and reaches back behind his head and feels that big hole mm-hmm. in the back of his skull. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine waking up and suddenly there's a hole in the back of your head? That's what I'm saying, man. All oh, the whole film yeah. is that, right? The whole film is a damn big trip. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I don't know that the Wachowski smoked weed. <laughs> at least, <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise. I would say at least. And we find out that in fact the year might be something like twenty one ninety nine. You know that yeah. we're a long time later, and a lot of bad stuff has happened. And we we find out the ship is called the Nebuchadnezzar, which is a Babylonian king. Like all these names have some meaning. Yeah. And we meet some of our other crew members in terms of uh, uh, guys like Dozer and Tank, and we meet. Who we've already talked about now, Joey Pants, yeah. Cipher. Yeah. Now Cipher is a code <laughs> that it, you know, it's for like it's for uh lined people. You know, so if someone is a cipher, oh. you know, they, they immediately saying like bad guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I never caught that. I yeah. never knew that word meant that. How funny. Um, yeah, it's it's when you do a mathematical code or, uh-huh. or, or if I'm encrypting something, I'm do, I'm using a cipher. How interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um it's time for our first lesson. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about, managing hair was hard in this movie. Because how long is Neo's hair in? Because we shoot films out of order. Right. But he had a shaved head. Yeah. And so you can't grow your hair back out of order. Right. You know, so how exactly they did all that and the fact that he lost 15 or 20 pounds yeah. makes scheduling very complicated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we go into the Matrix for the first time and 
we get into some good sci-fi stuff mm-hmm. of that all of these sensations you have sight sound smell touch are all electrical impulses that are going through your brain and they're just being simulated yeah and we see this whole thing where he like we see the farming of us as batteries which is an incredibly uh overwhelming image of that creature oh, yeah. walking through the numerous millions of pods and ho- cultivating us you know harvesting us that kind of yeah. thing it's just madness to watch it's such a brilliantly visual film about what it is exploring yeah. you know and the idea of feeding the dead into the living yes. and the little baby oh. and i mean that is some right now i'm just gonna say very briefly sure that science doesn't work <laughs> we could <laughs> batteries that's a very inefficient use of energy to have human batteries it's like just stick up a solar panel you get a lot more energy this is <laughs> but not... there is no solar panel the nuclear war oh, remember they shot that point their... that's a good point. which is a great thing too he explains yeah. to him yeah. how the end of the world happened and it, it's very human-like yeah the humans would absolutely launch nuclear weapons into the sky to try to stop this ai thing from taking over thinking that it would stop them because they wouldn't have access to the sun and of course the ai is already like is already uh, adjusting to that yeah i mean that was what was so scary recently when the when they brought these two a these two computers online i can't remember what country it was on the robots online and they started to create their own language mm-hmm. and they had to shut them down like they turned them off to shut them down well and we're in this world now <sighs> 20 years ago AI was, they've been trying to do AI since the 50s. And, right. And really discovered very quickly that it was about a billion times harder than what they thought it was. Right. And that we had to change our whole conceptions of how our brains worked. And we, uh, our own, like our knowledge of our brains had to advance a lot yeah. in order for us to advance how to do AI. Yeah. And, but today, we have AI, and AI yeah. is really growing in a way that's completely different from what we thought. It's not well, yeah. Terminator. It's not the Enterprise computer. It's not data on Star Trek. It's very, very different what's being developed. Yeah, sure. It, it, it is very different. So you say. No, it is very different. No, listen, AI is going to kill us all. I didn't say it wasn't. Okay, I'm really right, saying the I don't know what you're trying to make it benevolent about. Uh, you know. uh, did I say benevolent? Well, you said it isn't like Terminator. That means it's, it's no. better. Well, I also said it isn't like data. He's oh, a really okay. nice guy. That's true. He is. The, 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 what we haven't done or are nowhere near doing is AI to mimic human consciousness or the way humans think. Well, the fact that what they we, create a separate language. But what we have done is, is that what we figured out is that AI can do one process pretty well, yeah. like drive a car. Like, but that's all oh, it knows yeah. how to do. Right. And then you have other AI who can do uh, legal documents. And you have other AI mm. that can do... So we could do these little jobs, which are only a piece of what our brains can do. But every year, they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Yes. I'm not saying they're not going to kill us. Good God. Um, yeah. It's, no, we're in a different world now. Yeah, it's them or the simian revolution. Either one. <laughs> I'm not worried about the simians. Yeah, okay, you yeah. go ahead and not worry about it. <laughs> well, I have other things to worry about. <laughs> We're Cholesterol. Gonna We're gonna die. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Cinephiles. We're gonna die. We're gonna die. <laughs> um, uh, when Neil wakes up, he's actually starting to accept it. And yeah. uh, Morpheus tells him a little about the Oracle mm-hmm. and that he's the one who freed the people. And Morpheus says, "And I believe that you're the." We don't quite say it. I'm like, come on, we yeah. all know. Like this is Neo gets it. Um, he has a little uh, talk with Tank. We find out that Tank and Dozer are homegrown people. Mm-hmm. They never were in the Matrix. We hear about Zion, which is something that's going to become uh, scenes I don't particularly like in later movies. Yeah, but ironically, though, Chong is the one who overacts like a motherfucker through this whole film. Yeah. In retrospect, he's and he's the one that asked for more money, which is why he didn't come back for the sequels. Oh, really? Yeah, he thought since the movie blew up that he could ask for more money and because of his name and everything like that. Because he's Tommy Chong's son. Right. And Ray Don Chong's yeah. 
brother, I think. And so he was thinking, well, you know, he was trying to angle and they were like, fuck you. And they brought in Harold Perrineau. Now, the sequels weren't better than the original, so maybe Tommy's got. Oh, I forget. It's the, not his fault. Yeah, there, there's right. a, it, yeah, or his credits. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, but he was over like doing everything. If you watch the movies, like, good to see a man. He just does so much yeah. over there. You're like, Ugh. yeah, but, it's a yeah. lot. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. There's certain kinds of acting which you kind of accept more in one kind of movie than sure. another. And at this kind of movie, I'm like, yeah, it's a little much, but it's yeah. it's it like, still works in the world. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, let's do some training. Yeah. Let's do some combat training. Wow. First, he learns jujitsu. Then we pump in this thing. We say he's been doing it for 10 hours straight. Yeah. Takes it off, and he says, this line that bothered me when I saw it in the commercial, <laughs> I know kung fu. <laughs> and Morpheus says, show me. Show me. Yeah. This is a sparring program, similar to the programmed reality of The Matrix. It has the same basic rules, rules like gravity. What you must learn is that these rules are no different than the rules of a computer system. Some of them can be bent. Others can be broken. Understand. Then hit me, if you can. This dojo fight scene... His, I think one of the great fight scenes in history. Well, once again, this is an homage to Kung Fu Master. Remember yeah. that 80s video game you used to play in this theater with sure. the white Absolute. and the red oh, guy? Yeah. This is absolutely yep. the same thing. Yep. The <laughs> flipping, no question about it. the whole jumping yeah. around, all of it is fantastic. And now we got it. We got so oh, this is, by the way, a scene I teach in class. Oh, great. Because I do a fight scene, a whole lecture on fight scenes, and this is one of them. So I'm going to try to keep it fairly short. Please do. But I mean, please speak about it. <laughs> please sorry. keep it short. I mean, please I'm speak sorry, about John. It. <laughs> I will go as fast as I can. Um, we got to talk about Yuan Wu Ping. He's, the, oh, he's yeah. the choreographer. He's one of the great martial arts choreographer all the time, of all times. And this is where I give the Wachowskis so much credit because they normally in Hollywood films, they, the, they go Hollywood stunt people go, no, we can do it. And they're great, amazing, incredible hollywood stuntmen but they actually can't do this mm -hmm. you know i mean i shouldn't say that maybe that's too strong but but wachowski said no we want to get the guy who choreographed fist of legend with jet lee uh which is an amazing martial arts film mm -hmm. great fight scenes and and first whooping was just no i'm busy <laughs> and they pushed and they pushed and they got him <laughs> and you know i know i've already said it but they trained for four to six months on this stuff wow. and every day this is not like they came in for an hour. This is right. training every day, all I don't know, all day. And Keanu Reeves had just had spinal surgery, neck surgery. Oh, wow. He had two discs fused right before they go into training. And so if you look at some of the video of him training, he's wearing a neck brace. Yeah. And I just go, holy shit. Like, this is really... <laughs> and you would see there's sometimes where he turned the wrong way and he's screaming in pain. Oh, wow. And they choreographed it so he didn't have to do any high kicks at the right. beginning because he wasn't capable of doing it. But he... And I'm so impressed with Keanu. All of them, really. Mm -hmm. But him in particular. He was there six days a week and then he would come in on Sunday yeah. and say, no, no, I, I have to keep training because well, he's a perfectionist. Yeah, and this is speaks to his, became, this is probably what begins his lifelong love of, of martial arts. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it is. And the way they did it, so Wu Ping came and he had a bunch of his assistants who were big, you know, great kung fu stuntmen yeah, yeah. from China 
And what they would do was he would choreograph the fight scenes with these guys who could really do it. Right. And the Wachowskis would come in and they would talk through them, talk through camera angles, talk through moments, talk through slow motion effects, go back to Wu Ping. They would change the choreography talk, until they had and they would videotape all of it and try to figure out. So essentially film the entire fight scene with these stunt guys and yeah. refine it and refine it and refine it. And then once they said, OK, this is in, we locked it in. Yeah. Then they would start teaching it to Keanu and Lawrence Fishburne. Hmm. Um, um, so that they now have the exact model of what they're trying to do. That's amazing. And this is why it takes so long. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, you know, it's like Jackie Chan would take a month to make a fight scene. Yeah. You know, like this is not, and, and these are people that had no martial arts training before they came in. Right. And you could tell all of them, it seems like Hugo Weaving didn't love this as much as everybody else. Well, because he's a lot older than everybody else at And the he time. got hurt a lot. I'm sure he did. Yeah. Um, he's an I'm, old man. And uh, well, he was, but they all like. Well, he's older now. He's older, now. right? Exactly. I'm sorry. I um, meant when, he, when they were shooting the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all worked really, really hard. And then when they show up in Australia, they find out that Keanu's fusion hadn't fused properly. Well, I wonder why. And then they had to delay. They basically had to push all the fight scenes with Keanu to the end of the shoot. You know. Yeah. So, so now we're in this dojo fight scene, and <sighs> I, I've said it before on the podcast, but it's so important that. Um, Fight scenes are stories, and they should have character points at beginning, middle, end, mm-hmm. and they have beat work. They have motivations and movements and yes. ups and downs. And you watch this dojo fight scene, and it is a story. It is fantastic. Beginning to end. It's yep. so good. At first, he's overwhelmed. Yep. But Lawrence, the whole time, is tough loving him, like, get up. Is that? And he goes, and he try, and he just like a perfect master. And he says, even though he is the one to him, he's still going to train him. Yep. You know, he has to train him hard. He says, do you believe that's air you're breathing? Yeah. All of it. So he's trying to get him to understand the concepts of what's happening in this world, that he can control his body, control what he can do. And then um, Keanu starts to feel himself. He starts to figure it out. He starts to get a little bit closer. So his fight starts to change. And so, like you know, with martial arts, obviously, Steve, uh, you have to adjust your fight. So yeah. Fishburne comes even harder, comes even with even different moves and more interesting moves, more, more intricate moves and those kinds of things. Well, and at, for, at first, um, when, when we start, uh, Keanu's kind of cocky and yes. just having fun. Yeah. And, and, and at that point, Lawrence Fishburne, Mor- Morpheus, has no trouble. He doesn't break a sweat. It's all. Pr- and, and by the way, they're fighting in different styles. So Keanu's cool. more of like long fist, traditional kung fu. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, Morpheus is more Tai Chi, his movements, kind of narrow and very like not breaking a sweat. And then we have like the first moment that Keanu starts to discover mm-hmm. that he can bend the rules mm-hmm. and, he, and he does this like triple kick where he kind of floats. Yeah. They did take after take after take of that, yeah. largely because Keanu just wasn't satisfied. He was like, no, I can do it perfect. I can mm-hmm. do it perfect. And I love, and after 30 takes, they finally say, okay, that's enough. And he just still isn't satisfied. He's like, no, I need to do another take. And Wu Ping pulls him aside and says, relax. We are professionals. When we say a shot is okay, that means it's okay. <laughs> um, and I just, that's so important. It's yeah. like, it's great to be a perfectionist. It's also great for someone who's watching to go, no, you're good. Yeah. It's good. Trust me. You have to trust me that it's okay. As an actor, it is the hardest thing. Yeah. Because you really, because you see what you see and you see what you see in your body as you're doing it and you hope it transfers. Yeah. And so you try to do it multiple times because you want it, you want to feel as satisfied by your by your performance as you can walking off a set, right. and when the director tells you we've got it, it's a re- it's it's one of the hardest things an actor will ever do is to trust in that moment that you have got it. Well, and it's a really important thing for directors to do too, because a lot of times uh, there are a lot of directors you know this better than anyone yeah. that 
they don't know how to talk to actors. No, they like, have no really don't understand don't. them at all, yeah. and frequently ignore them. And it can be really lonely being mm-hmm. on the set, and everyone's doing their jobs. You're talking to the DP and focus pullers, and all these things are happening, right. and you're just like, was that good? Was it not good? Exactly. The director needs to come and say, you were good. We had a focus issue. We're going to go again. Or this is what you know. You got to touch base with your actors yeah. all the time. One of the most of. Uh, um violent in internal violent moments i ever had in my life was when a guy I used to work with years ago doing some testing on dvds he says the director and he said to me actors are movable props and i wanted to pull his arms off and beat him to death with it because this an arrogant thing to say first of all and second of all it denigrates the work we put in to create the world that you're trying to create by just sitting on your ass and looking through a camera. I could say it just like that. That devalue. I could use that statement to devalue a director completely. But that's not what happens. A director is in charge of so many things. An actor as well has to be in charge of continuity in his own mind. Like what's happening here? That like Because you shoot out of sequence all the time. So we're always thinking of what, how we look. What are we supposed to be wearing? How, you know, like you just said, Keanu's hair growth, his weight. All these kinds of things. We have to work on Where that. you are emotionally bring, in the scene. Yeah, we're emotionally in the scene. We have to bring those levels to the scene to bring a script right work to life and so when he said that i just was like you're an asshole that's why you haven't made it that's why you're never going to make it because that kind of idea doesn't work unless you're john ford or some shit like no well i'll tell you something that's going to upset you even more oh god is that i was taught that at usc really yes in my directing program there was a teacher that said well you know actors are basically it was sort of props and little emotional children that was sort of the way actors were described and it made me i'm just just as not maybe as angry as you yeah. but pretty fucking angry I, it's one of those rare things that still angers me whenever I think about it so it because it's just so it's so insulting and so insulting well and the thing is there is no reason to be insulting to the people that your movie lives on exactly is that's that, just arrogance and, and i mean even if you hated them and thought they were an idiot yeah don't treat them that way exactly it's not useful to you your job is to get great shots great performances through the lens of your camera yeah it doesn't matter what you feel about that person exactly it's how do you get the performance out of them exactly um so morpheus starts to talk to him and give him a lecture your problem is good adaptation improvisation your weakness is not your technique. Hey, Keanu's impatient. Yes. He's the impatient student who wants to fight more. So there's this moment where we really start to, the fight scene becomes more even and we're in a top-down shot. And again, you choose shots to, to say a certain story thing. If we want to show it more even, the top-down shot works really well. And there's a moment where we have our first big sort of spectacular moment mm-hmm. where Neo runs away. Runs up a wall, yeah. does the giant slow-mo backflip over Morpheus. And I remember something you said, I think it was in our Rushmore podcast, okay. where you talked about you hate when movies use slow-mo poorly, and you love where movies use slow-mo well. Yes. This movie knows how to use slow-mo. Absolutely. Every single slow-mo shot. And I was thinking that, too, as I was finishing up the movie yesterday. I was like, this is now this is how you use slow-mo. This oh, yeah. Is, in every single scene that it's used, it is perfectly used. And and the amount of time that that sequence goes on for in slow-mo is perfectly used as well. Yeah. And, and this scene is great. And, 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 and this is where I have very mixed feelings about some of the wire work in kung fu films is that I, I don't like people just being able to fly around. You don't like the fantastical nature of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like when wire work is used to accentuate mm-hmm. human abilities. And, and, and this movie goes right to the edge of that and does it perfectly. What about Crouching Tiger? 
it bothers me. <laughs> Some of it bothers me. I think it's a great movie, but it's a lyrical movie. That's it's, why exactly. I think it works for I me. Think it's yeah, a, yeah. yeah I, it, it, some of it, but it's a beautiful, gorgeous film. Um, it's not my favorite martial arts film. Sure, well, of course. you know, um, we have this great moment where Neo did this magical, wonderful thing, and what happens to him? Big sidekick in the chest, because <laughs> Morpheus is still the master. Yes, yeah. And he has to teach him, and that's right. And that's and it's perfect because, like you said, Steve, these fights have to tell a story. Yeah. He's in that moment when he lands. He's like, "Whoa! Oh, oh awesome!" And then, boom! Like yeah. it's not you cannot get comfortable or have a moment to like uh, uh, appreciate what you've just done because the fight is still happening, right? And then we get the moment which you mentioned before of, mm. "How did I beat you? You're too fast." Do you believe that my being stronger or faster? has anything to do with my muscles in this place. You think that's air you're breathing now? Yeah. And this is some good, like, this is some Buddhist stuff. Like, this is some spiritual stuff. And strangely enough, this comes up in martial arts classes that I've been in. Like, is that there's a sense, particularly doing Aikido, which is a very sort Mm -hmm. of gentle art, Mm -hmm. is that of like, oh, I overpowered you with strength. And there's no overpowering. If you're overpowering someone with strength in Aikido, you're not doing Aikido right. Right. Is that I've been thrown by someone who was like, I was, when I first started training, there was a woman who was, she was, I think, 4'11", weighed 98 pounds, and she was in her late 60s. And she threw me a good 10 feet across the mat. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was because I came at her hard, right. and she just took all my power and put me <laughs> off balance, and I just went, whoosh, you know? That's, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and it's just where Morpheus is right now. Mm-hmm. because And you see, again, the moment of the wheels turning. And this is where Keanu is such a good actor. Yeah. In his head, and he's going, okay. And now, and we see him go through multiple from the cocky guy at the beginning yep. to the guy who was getting impatient to the guy who got excited about his being doing the big flip to going yep. like, oh, okay. Yep. And now he settles in. And now, where at the beginning, Morpheus was not sweating it at all. Mm-hmm. He's got to work yep. at the end. And we have these two moments where at the beginning, Morpheus stops a punch because and it's funny. You, uh, uh, Wu Ping said this is that one of the things the master should always master should never hurt his student because he could always stop the punch. Right. And at the beginning, Morpheus does that. And at the end, Keanu does that. Yeah. That's a perfectly constructed fight. Scene. Agreed. Yeah. And the one other thing we should talk about that's happening during the fight scene is the excitement on the Nebuchadnezzar yeah. that Morpheus is fighting Neo. And yeah. you see all of their feelings about what's happening from Trinity's hope, mm-hmm. from Mouse's excitement, and from Cypher's enjoying his failure. Yeah. All happening at once. I mean, Cypher's jealousy, too, when he starts yes. to come back. Yeah. Because yeah. Cypher has a thing for Trinity. It seems pretty obvious. He's a Very quiet obvious. thing for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and since we've gotten through our dojo test, we need to go do one more test, which is the jump test. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> we have Morpheus do this awesome, cool jump. And you see, Keanu's great. Like, okay, you could do this, man. You can do it. You <laughs> yeah. can do it. And he tries to do the jump and jumps off and... Ah! And I love the bounce in the... Yeah. Which the Wachowskis, they told their effects people they wanted Wiley Coyote. That's what, that was <laughs> the inspiration. Basically was. Yeah. yeah, it's basically a Wiley Coyote moment. And the disappointment on the Nebuchadnezzar when like, oh... Maybe he's not the one. Right. Yeah. These guys are asking too much for a guy who just got found out about That's all true. this kind of shit. And then uh, we have a moment with Cypher and Trinity. Um, 
and we hear about the Oracle. Yeah. And then we go back to the Matrix for what we think we've gone back to the actual Matrix and we're in the world. There are all these people around. There's this beautiful woman in a red dress. Oh, mm. she's really interesting looking. Gets distracted. There's Agent Smith. Freeze. This freeze was really cool in 1999 mm -hmm. in the middle of this crowd. And we realized, no, this isn't the Matrix. This is another training scenario. Yeah. But again, it's about him focusing and not being distracted. It's right. really important for him to focus because he's going, a lot of things are going to be able to distract him. And if he's going to take this, make this jump or do this thing, he's got to remove distractions and focus. Once it's, you said the Buddhist principles, all of that is that, is maintaining composure and peace no matter what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. And I'm just walking into Buddhism. So I'm years away from really embracing all the concepts fully and, and, and instilling them into my life. But it's a very powerful thing. And yeah. it's fantastic once you're ready to hear what they're saying. And so this is another thing. Like when you're breathing, when you're composed, when you can feel your power through your feet, through the earth, there is nothing that can distract you from where you're going or what you're doing. And that's, that's, that's what ne uh, Morpheus is trying to teach Neo. Yeah. Well, and there's this thing, too, that's kind of related to this, is yeah. that because they constructed this matrix, this world, yep. they had to construct it based on a bunch of rules. Yes. And that the agents, in order to exist within this world, also have to exist within these rules to some degree. They yep. can bend the rules a little bit, but they can't actually break the rules. Right. Whereas... Morpheus believes that Neo, because he is the one, will, if you can fully see the construct, well, then you don't have to obey the rules in any way. Yeah, exactly. And this idea of you're saying I could dodge bullets? No, I'm saying you might not have to. Yeah, um, such a great exchange. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's trouble. We have to get back to the ship because right. these squiddy creatures are coming in. <laughs> yeah. um, and we're staying really, really quiet until they go away. And we introduce this idea of the electromagnetic pulse. That's yes. our ultimate defense. Perfectly good plant. Um, Neo has a conversation with Cypher. Cypher founds out that, yeah, he laid this heavy shit on him about being the one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like the worst kept secret on the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and I love I, Joey Pants is great. He's always good. Always good. Yep. From back in risky business, yeah, all the way along. And he's great at playing status. He can yeah. play a villain, and he can play a sweet character like he plays in La Bamba when he's the oh, when yeah, he's that's his, right. uh, that's his, right. his his manager. Like that's what I love about Pantoliano. He can play everything you want him to play. He's yeah. so great at it. And, and he gives him. And he's like, yeah, maybe you might think you're the one, but let me give you a piece of advice. You see an agent, you run. Yeah. Just like all the rest of us. Yeah. Cut to. Cipher and an agent mm -hmm. eating a very, very rare piece of steak. Yeah, well, it's uh, what's his face? Yeah, Hugo Weaving's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and now we now, now we know that he is he's the guy who's informing. He's yep. he's the he's the uh, traitor. Yep, and he is making this deal, which I am certainly not saying I would make this deal because this is selling out your friends and having mm -hmm. them all killed. That's a bad thing to do. I'm pretty pretty clear on that. Right, but. Him going like, why would I want to live on this ship when I could just live here and eat steak and, you know, have comforts and wealth and, you know, mm -hmm. I, it makes it, it perfectly reasonable and makes sense. What I always found interesting about this exchange is the line he says, I want, I don't want to remember. A I thing. don't want to remember a thing. I love that. Yeah. Because even in the Matrix, the guilt is there to yeah. within him. Right. And if he remembers it. He might not come back fully to enjoy the Matrix because the guilt of which he built it on, he knows would eat at him and erase his well, joy. E even if we put guilt aside, I 100% agree. Yeah. But if you're aware that you're an illusion, 
Yeah. How can you enjoy the illusion exactly. as much? You so, would, well, some people yeah. can lie to themselves about the illusions. They they live in their lives oh, in real life. Yeah. It's not just some people. Yes. <laughs> Very much, good Pretty points. much all of us. Very good um, To some degree some or another. Some people are really good at it more yeah. than others. Yeah, We're back yeah. on the ship, and we see now great contrast from the steak to the gruel. Yeah. And, and Mouse lays out some more good, trippy... You know, you're stoned hanging out with friends conversation yeah. of how do you know that the thing you tasted tasted like the thing you think it tasted like? <laughs> and this is a classic philosophical conundrum. It's like sure. you and I look at something that's red and you say, what color is that? And I say, it's red. And you say, yeah, it's red. How do we know that we're both seeing that red looks the same to us? Right, right. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones I was thinking about that made me think about about the Matrix is like, OK, so Neil grew up. He probably had a mom and a dad. Mm-hmm. And that mom and dad raised him as their son. Is there any way we know that that female and that male are related to him in any way? Right. Well, now we just jump into the replicant situation in Blade Runner as well. Those memories are installed into your brain. Right. And they might and their memories that everyone gets installed are the same memories. Well, I don't think th- it's, I don't think that's what's happening in the Matrix. Because they're really interact the, the his boss is a real person that's in a pod somewhere. Right. But it's, it's not part of inst- a program. Right. The environment is part of a that's program. That's what I'm saying, but the memories that he has are part of a program, right? So the memories right. the replicants have in Blade Runner are part of a program that's been installed in those replicants. Right, but he's actually experienced things that the like 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 um, what's her name in Blade Runner? Yeah, has has not Rachel. Ra- Rachel in Blade Runner was never a child. She was in her mind. Right, but she but she she was a child in her mind. She remembers being a child. Right, but she never did those things. I I don't know. Well, she can't have. She was born a year ago. She was born six months ago, whereas Neo is 30 years old. What are you trying to say? I don't know. I think, I think we're not yeah. communicating well. The replicants believe that they have lived 30 years. Right, but she, she's one year old. You're saying outside of the whole situation, watching her, she was never an actual child. No, I'm saying Rachel had never been a child. That's what I just said. Yeah. But you're saying Neo... He was a he was a baby inside a pod. Oh, sure, experiencing things. Sure, but he has no memory of being that baby. He has more memory of being a child right. from the fake Matrix. Right, but he when if I'm living in a if I'm on the holodeck right. on Star Trek. Yeah, but I'm telling you, it's irrelevant. I'm telling you, it's irrelevant that the replicant never actually was a child because if you juxtapose with Neo, Neo does has no memory of being in that pot until he wakes up. Well, that has nothing to do with it. That's not what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that if I'm in a software program, and I can choose at six years old, and the program gives me a choice of going to the left or to the right, right. I really made a choice then and did a thing. Or so you think. Right, whereas Rachel never had any of those experiences at all. She never, she has never lived experiences. Whereas Neo has had the illusions of lived experiences that he went through over the last 30 years. Wait, that's incorrect. It is? Yes. They installed the experiences into the replicants. The replicants think they've had the experiences. Yes, I know. Viscerally. Right. So there's no difference. Well, there is a difference because they fe- it feels the same, but Neo actually had experiences that Rachel did not. No, but only but his experiences are memories. You know, you're, oh, so you're saying, oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying he actually remembers... He actually remembers experience. He actually lived through these experiences in, in his mind, as opposed to them being installed in him. R- right. Like right. He actually, so, so, yeah, so, okay. so what's his name's daughter in uh, in Blade Runner? Yeah. Saw those spiders, and what's his name's daughter had the like showed yeah, played yeah, doctor yeah. with her. You know, those are the memories she has. Right. There is a person who really did those things. Yes. And those memories were removed from that person or, or duplicated from that person and yeah. stuck in Rachel. Right. Whereas Neo. 
went to work and he did th- yeah, in yeah, his yeah. mind he has gone through actual experiences where he made those choices throughout in in a virtual sense sure 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 but he still had ex- virtual experiences that were his okay. as opposed to having someone else's experiences installed in him okay but it what what what, what we're getting to a little bit but not a lot well yeah. what we're getting to is that's something that's going to come up in a moment yeah. is uh is there free will and do we have choices yeah so did neo really make those choices like did he really have a choice in left and right and chose right, right. or was it that he they programmed the situation so he would go right yeah that's the thing when you rip when you take this film all the way to the back is like have they known and we find out in the third movie obviously spoiler alert for any other but we find in the third movie this is a repeating program which was one of the biggest cop-outs ever in any trilogy ever and so they know from the beginning from his birth that he is the one and the matrix is trying to create him so that he becomes the one and has to confront the idea that he is the one and what he does with that there's where and this is what's so interesting about the film yeah so it's funny i really i haven't seen two and three very many times and i mostly blocked them out I, I, two i remember pretty well and yeah. i think i saw that twice three i might have only seen the once in the theater mm-hmm. and just went uh, this is it it, it. it made this movie that I love less good. Yes, it did. And so I just kind of put it out of my mind. I'd like to be like Joey Pants and take the pill and go back and, and go erase back, yeah. two and three. Um, erase Godfather three, erase Rocky five, erase Star Trek five. Like there's so much I'd like to erase. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, all of them. Yeah. I, I don't know most of those films. They're not familiar. <laughs> um, let's go see the Oracle. Yeah, let's do it. So we have this great spin around phone shot that takes us from the Neb to the hotel. Yeah. And we go from our gray, bald, emaciated, scruffy characters to our fucking slick leather, sunglass, yeah. cool hair, great look people. Yeah. And it was, here's the thing I was thinking about. Which one is the real Neo? Oh, because Good Neo question. had to go from the Matrix to the quote unquote real world. Right. But the real Neo, I think, lives in the Matrix. Yes. Because he can't be that cool. And same with Morpheus and same yeah. with Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's them becoming their complete selves. Right. Which they have to go into the false world to be their true selves. Right. Which is weird. Sure. Okay. <laughs> That's just the feeling I had. Fair enough. Uh, we get in a car and one quick. They're thing, avatars. These are essentially their avatars. Yeah. yeah. They're avatars that are the real them. Yes. Yeah. Well, and this goes to something which is sad about our world right now. Mm-hmm. People get to go online and be people that they don't get to be in the real world. That's what it is. And a lot of those people are really nasty. Can be. Yeah. Sure. Um, they get in the car and uh, this is a process shot, which I think is really interesting, which means that they're kind of in green skin, green and real projection. Mm-hmm. The car's not going anywhere. And it really adds to this unreal quality of the matrix as neo sees it for the first time really knowing what it is yeah i think it's brilliantly done it's a beautiful sequence agreed cypher drops the phone off which is the tracking yep neo asks trinity about the oracle she doesn't give an answer it's always good to plant a little more mystery Mm -hmm. we get to the oracle's apartment this is all so interesting Mm -hmm. they're all the choices of where she lives who she is who's there what it looks like what her behavior is Everything here is surprising yeah. from what we expect, and yeah. it's great. Well, again, it's this idea of, and I love this, because this whole waiting room is essentially all the religions. Yeah. And their supposed messiahs, right? Yep. Their ones, right? The kid with the bending of the spoon, the girl uh, floating those things, all yep. of that is like, and that's what, when she walks in, you know, those are your, she, when he walks in rather into her uh, kitchen, and they have this conversation, she says, well, all those are 
perspectives or whatever, yeah. right? Other ones. Yeah. So this idea of like, yeah, you're not, you might not necessarily be the one and you might not be the thing that you think you are. Well, and he hasn't juggled any things in the air or bent a spoon. And we got to talk about the spoon bending. That's awesome. The kid is great. Yes. And this, you know, this idea of, again, this is straight up uh, Maya, this Hindu Buddhist idea. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. <laughs> you know, and then I love the moment. Again, we have these reflections of yeah. the spoon and that he takes the spoon and the spoon seems to bend. And then when you cut back, the spoon is straight. Yeah. Did Neo bend the spoon? He's not ready to. I think he bent the spoon a little bit because it, it, it rivals his growing understanding of what's happening. So I think he did bend it a little bit, but he couldn't bend it like the kid bent it. Can I tell you what I think? Okay. There is no spoon. <laughs> nice setup, you son of a bitch. All right, let's move on. It really was. It, it was, was not, that was not fair. I liked it. No, it's it was not good, fair. though. Um, we go into the... Oh, and now we go to meet the Oracle. She's so good, Steve. Yeah. I love her. And it breaks my heart that she died before the the sequels because the woman who took her place from what a different world or Cosby show whatever she was on nowhere near the same yeah, this kind is of, Gloria Foster is her name she's and she is great so I don't use as often on this podcast but the gravitas that she brings to that role grounds that scene so powerfully well and it's gravitas with lightness yeah you know is that she's joyful and ordinary and deep and, and lived it like and she's, lived she's yeah. done this a million yeah. times she's so relaxed and there's this great moment where she says don't worry about the vase and don't worry about the vase. What vase? That vase. I'm sorry. I said don't worry about it. I'll get one of my kids to fix it. How did you know? Oh, what's really going to bake your noodle later on is... Would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? That moment, I remember watching it again for this podcast. And that moment, I had to stop it because I was like, damn, my mind just exploded. My mind just went, boof. Well, and this taps into exactly what we were just talking about yeah. was, do we have free will? Exactly. And, and, and this is, a, again, a classic metaphysical conundrum mm -hmm. is if you, have free, if you don't have free will, is it better to know you don't have free will or not know you don't right, have free will? Right. And is acting as if you don't have free will the same as having free will? You know, these are things that, will, that can mess a person up. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, in my opinion, it's better to just believe you have free will because it's more use. Because here's why I think. Mm -hmm. If I believe I don't have free will, yeah. that will lead me to believe I don't have control over my life and make tr and so if there we go there's two mm, possibilities. Sure. I either have free will or I don't. If I don't have free will, it doesn't matter whether I think I have free will or don't think right. I have free will because I have no choice in any of these things. Right. But if I did have free will, it does matter and there's more things I can do if I believe that I have free will than if I don't. Right. That is my way of looking at it. Okay. <laughs> That's useful to anybody it's an else. Incredible construct. I like it. <laughs> okay. Um and and she points to the little sign above that says know thyself in latin which comes from the temple of apollo at delphi <laughs> you know the wachowskis they got into the deep yeah. shit um, i love that her checking to see if he's the one involves opening his mouth and saying ah yeah because it's it's this whole it's she's playing into the convention of he might be thinking how he can be found out to be the one yeah. well and she already knows right 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 she it's, knows this yeah. is all this is all a show it's that's happening ruse, yeah and then and then she says well what do you you know you know the truth right and he says yeah i'm not the one and she goes she doesn't actually say she you're says, right sorry she says sorry yeah um and 
and Morpheus almost had him convinced and oh poor Mor Morpheus and then she tells him you're going to have to make a choice mm -hmm. again we keep coming back to choice yeah and this choice is basically let Morpheus die or save Morpheus and sacrifice your life yeah you know and I also love that, but you don't believe in any of this predestiny stuff anyway, so it doesn't, which again goes back to my free will point. Right. And I love the, just as soon as you take this cookie, as soon as you finish eating it, you're going to feel a lot better. <laughs> I love that. Just like a doctor. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, here's one thing that occurred to me, and maybe this relates to the second and third movies, which like I said, I don't remember that well, mm -hmm. but the mysticism of the Oracle is fundamentally different from all everything else that's in this film. Yeah. In the second and third, from what you you know talked about, it, it's tied in. Yeah. But here it's not because every magical thing that Neo or anybody else can do in the matrix is because that's not real. It's a computer right, program. Right. But there's nothing in there that says why the Oracle should be able to predict the future. Until we get to later in the on. sequels, yeah, because yeah. you find out in the third one that it's a battle between the Oracle and the creator of the Matrix, and that they've been doing this right forever. Yeah, what a fucking cop out. Anyway, go ahead. Well, it's you know, any any anything that ends with and then they wake up, you know, just always yeah. is going to piss me off. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Wizard of Oz can do it, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, but that was 1939. Right. Since then, that's that's the only when it gets permission. Um, we leave the Oracle. There's an ambush coming. Yeah. And we know. We know that the bad shit's going down. Mm -hmm. There's a great build. We go back into the hotel. Neo sees the cat do the glitch. He has the deja vu. They say, oh, that means that the agents are messing with something in the program. Open up some curtains that they think is a door. Nope. They've changed the architecture of the building. Right. This is all great. Uh, Neo gets a gun. Um, and, and there's this great moment with Lawrence Fishburne where he knows mm -hmm. this is the time for him to make his sacrifice. He knows what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. We go to the wet wall and break through this wall. This set, this is a practical set. So fantastic. It is 18 inches wide. It's 40 feet tall and six feet deep. And it mm -hmm. is vertical. Mm -hmm. At first I thought, oh, maybe are they, are they horizontal and they're flipped? No, it's all vertical. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing set. Yeah, and the way he, they climb down the wall uh, trying to escape the agents... Yeah. It's very reminiscent of what you'd see in a comic book, right? I mean, it's, to me, it, totally. it, it reminds me a lot of the Daredevil shot, the panels that yeah. are, that are uh, uh, you know, well, uh, I think the Frank vertical Miller, panels. The yeah. Frank Miller influence is so big yeah. on this movie. Yeah, you can't I, overestimate agreed, it. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. He's huge. Yeah. From Sin City with all the blacks and the coats and the, you know, there's Good a point. lot of Frank Miller in here. Absolutely. Um, so they're climbing down. Here's my question. Cypher coughs. On purpose. Is it on purpose? Of course it's on purpose. It sells him out. And he does, a, he does an action that can't immediately be seen as traitorous. It's a cough. He doesn't go, we're here, shoot me, shoot right. Morpheus. He does a cough. And he does it at the right time just as they're about to escape. He coughs so they can catch them. I guess. Blah, blah, blah. I, I, it's probably true. It I've just seems like a terrible... Yeah, it's always seemed like... like First of all, he does a good job of selling it. Yes. and But it also is like, well, this seems like a bad plan. There's all these people with machine guns pointing at you. Right. I, coughing at this moment seems like a bad idea. Yeah, but he's weighed down. I guess and that's true. Because those guys know he is the right. uh, uh, traitor that they're yeah. not going to kill him. Yeah. And so what does Morpheus do when we go on fire? <sighs> Goes out to fight the agent. Jumps through the wall. Yeah. Like a badass, yeah. man. Apparently, both of them got pretty beat up doing this fight uh, scene. Well, I'm not surprised they're both old men trying to do this shit. Yeah. 
you know, Lawrence moves great. And I, they I, both do. I, by the way, I'd be frightened to look up how old he is in this movie. He's probably our age. <laughs> He's probably in his 40s. Yeah, yeah, late 40s. Probably in his 40s. Hey, um, I got no shame saying I would get yeah. beat up in a film like this. Uh, and apparently he's allergic to dust. Oh, damn. And he was just like sneezing and coughing and eyes running and oh, all sorts of problems. Damn. And uh, when they did the knuckle punch where they hit each other, that almost broke uh, Hugo, Hugo Weaveling's wrist. Wow. I mean, they got... This is a, and it's a brutal fight scene. It is, and what they do so well in this fight scene is show that man Morpheus is doing really well against this guy, and even he is and, not good enough, and he ain't gonna win. Nope. Yeah, um, and Neil has to make that choice again and they choose to run. And we get to somewhere. Uh, uh, Cipher gets back to the Neb and wipes out Tank and Dozer, mm-hmm. shoots him with the weird laser fire beamy <laughs> whatever that thing is. Gun, yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, our heroes get to another phone, and who's on the line but Cypher? Yeah. This scene's horrible. It is. Which, once again, why the film is so good. The film doesn't pull punches when it has its darker moments. Yeah. And and the sad, watching them die, was so terrible. And their last lines, you know? Like, he says to him, Ernate or something like that, or I hope you, you know, I hope you're the one. And then he dies. Yeah. And then the girl in white, I always forget the actress's name, she says, not like this. Damn. That and her sort of eyes roll back <sighs> drop in that moment is so great. Really, really good. Right? And it's so painful. So you, you gotta feel we didn't have a lot of time with either of them. So we have to feel their losses. And so their deaths have to have to have these great moments so you can feel them. And and they both do a great they job. They do. They're yeah. great. And 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 Cypher being very close to Trinity's face yeah. is super creepy. And then jumping on top of straddling oh. Morpheus. <laughs> I mean, this goes to a whole other level. Yeah, and and he's and we get right to the point of like, well, if he's the one, some miracle is going to have to come along and save him because otherwise he's going to be dead. And who comes along but Tank? Tank, um, and saves them. They yep. get they get back, and now we're left with this choice. We know that Morpheus has been captured. Yeah, and he's he knows how to get to Zion, and the only thing that makes sense is to pull a plug and have him die. Right. And Neo has a choice. Yep. Stop. I don't believe this is happening. Neo, this has to be done. Does it? I don't know. I. This can't be just coincidence. It can't be. What are you talking about? The Oracle. She told me this would happen. She told me that I would have to make a choice. What choice? What are you doing? I'm going in. No, you're not. Trinity won't let him go without her. Yeah. And I love that. And of course, the classic male archetype, he says, oh, you you know, I got to do it alone. I, I can't go with you. And she's like, oh, no, I'm coming with you, dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's once it's this right. pushing back, which is the big, I think it's the beginning of the change of what's happening. What's going, a foreshadowed change is going to happen in films where women are going to become even more powerful in these action films, right. in these sci-fi films. They're going to be a force to reckon with. And you see it happening here in the matrix. Well, and it goes to how this movie is working out in terms of prophecy, yeah. which is that if he is the one, she will be in love with him because right. that's one prophecy. Right. And if she is in love with him, therefore he must be the one. Mm-hmm. And if he chooses to go back to save Morpheus, he must be the one. Right. You know, it's so all these things are working together to make it. This is what has to happen. Good point. Um, we're into another interrogation. Um, oh, I love this interrogation. Look out that window. You had your time. The future is our world, Morpheus. The future is our time. 
this is this is Hugo Weaving chewing some fucking scenery. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, it, I feel like it goes on slightly too long. For really, me. between the three scenes, oh. back and forth, it's just a little like okay. I think it's worth it to have because he's like because he's, he's great. It's not a big because he gets vulnerable. He said like you don't see that in a sentient program to be like I hate this place. No, it goes to a weird by the third place. one. Yeah, when he drags his finger across yeah uh, Lawrence Fishburne's head and then shoves the fingers into his yeah. nose into his nostrils, the smell of the and Fishburne's in some kind of like trance. Yeah. So what is he doing? What do you think is happening for Fishburne's character? Morpheus. Do you, you think Morpheus is Morpheus is channeling Neo? Channeling is going back to his Buddhist roots, like to escape the pain that he's experiencing to be in another place. Like, what do you think is happening? Here's what I think. Because what they said is that they, they've essentially what they've ejected in him. Oh, there's, there's gotcha. No, you're right. there's That's nothing. Right. First of all, the Matrix doesn't exist. That's right. the first thing. Right. He, this is just software and a program. And that there's um, some program trying to break down his identity. You're right. So I think he is, his universe is, I think the, the world is falling apart for him. Yes. You know what I mean? Okay, good point. Like his connection to reality gotcha. is, is pretty slim. Okay. But, well, and I also think like it's interesting, this thing with Agent Smith of... You create a sentient program, AI, mm-hmm. operating within this software that must behave like humans yeah. and must therefore, and you've created emulated senses going into the you know, neural pathways of humans that are in these pods. Right. And the, the sentient program has to be able to process those senses, even though they don't have any physical body. Right. And then... Apparently, what's happened with this one guy is he has developed consciousness. Yeah, in in some way. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is you know I'm not we're not even going to go down the road of what what exactly is consciousness. But if you're saying I hate this place, it I don't like your stink. You got there. Yeah, you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing that's interesting to see speaking by, with senses. Yeah, that I love is that they say the first version of the Matrix we created, everything was awesome. Yep, and nobody liked that, and they couldn't live in that. They they rejected it, and I'm like, wow, now they're doing the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. You know, f- that humans couldn't stay in paradise. We had to go out and have all of our troubles because we don't believe it. Yeah, we're naturally uh, a, a, a inquisitive people. We're naturally yeah. a questioning people. Kirk might say he needs his pain. Yes, <laughs> you know that's right. That's classic Star Trek philosophy. What we're going to need, though, if we're going to go attack the agents, we need some weapons. Guns. Guns. Lots and lots of guns. There's something that uh, Agent Smith says that I think is not true, but is a great line. Mm -hmm. Humans aren't mammals. Because humans are the only, all other species on Earth find find balance in their environment. That is not true. <laughs> yeah, that is if you study Malthus and evolution, that is in fact the opposite of what Darwin would say: is that all species expand to beyond the level of their yeah. uh, ability to survive and then collapse. Right. Yeah. No. No. No species chooses to find balance with their environment. The environment <laughs> finds balance with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just me. It's still good in the movie, um, and because because that culminates with human beings are a disease. A cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. That's fucking great. Mm-hmm. The government lobby. Oh, man. Please remove any metallic items you're carrying, keys, boost change. Holy shit! Ugh. 
It's one of the greatest action sequences of all time. Agreed. Yeah. An incredible mix of slow motion and fast motion, or fast motion, or regular motion, rather. Uh, slow motion, and the great, like, that's great score. Soundtrack with the guitars and the drums and the... Driving. Yeah, all of techno it. Score. Yeah, techno and, score. Yeah, techno score. And the... And the all, I don't know how many weapons they're actually carrying Jeez, on them, but yeah. whipping out each one of them, the choreography. And this is, again, owing a lot to John Woo. Yeah, sure. And also, I think, to Yan Wu-Ping of choreographing guns like a kung fu fight. Yeah. You know, is that we want to see beautiful movement and beautiful moments. And there are throughout this. And the thing we have to remind everyone, this is not CG. This is all practical yep. effects. Yep. They are really blowing up those pillars that are obviously not really concrete. Right. But and and that when Neo is going down that hallway in slow motion, that is really a shot where there's all that shit exploding yep. all around him. So awesome! And, and when they had to reset one of those pillars because they wanted to take, do another take, six hours. Wow! To reset the pillars because you had to clean the whole stage. Yeah, true. You had to put, take down the old pillers, put up new pillars, God lock damn. them in place. This is and so it's a ten day shoot to do this. <sighs> um, and this is what Carrie Ann Moss says is this is where she never knew how much pressure there was on an action star because if it's six hour reset. You better hit that cartwheel off the wall. Oh yeah, and she and there's footage of it. She's practicing. She had a lot of. She never got it quite right mm. in rehearsals, and then she twisted her ankle. And it's a. I saw it. You, you could see it, and it really goes. Oh shit! Right before this, and then she had to do it, and there's basically one take. Yeah. To do it, and she did it. They do it in two shots, but it is that cartwheel off the wall is amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's great to look at. And, and, and just all like the way the fabric moves, mm-hmm. you know, when he when he does when Neo does his cartwheel to pick up the gun and then the one handed cartwheel found uh, firing the gun and the landing and seeing the the fabric sort of flow and everything just looks so fucking cool. Yep. And the, the fact that he's marble as 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 the backdrop is fantastic. A yeah. marble lobby is just perfect. Uh, and because it fits with the clean, sleek nature of the whole film when they're in the Matrix, all in those areas of the Matrix. And then they get on the elevator. Yep. And, and it's like, ding. And I, I love the beginning. What I love about these whole sequences is that the Wachowskis throw a little bit of humor in, in everything. Right? When that guy opens up, do you have any metal objects? And he opens he goes, holy shit. You yep. know, that's such a great little comedic yep. moment that you need to break the tension. And then right? he gets killed. And again, the question is, did some guy in some pod somewhere short out at I that feel moment? Like, I feel like that's what happened. I think that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Like, people don't talk about how many people die in this film <laughs> yeah. just to pursue this whole idea of re- removing the Just Matrix. to rip them out of their comfortable world and stick them in and a post-apocalyptic exactly. universe. Some of us want to stay in the Matrix. Yeah, it's, it seems nicer to me. Yeah, right. Um, and, and of course, then you have the moment of when they're coming up the elevator, the other two agents come back and see Agent Smith practically licking Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, that's like, weird. And go like, Sexual. what are you doing? Yeah, they say, what are you doing and he, goes, and, he, and he and his look when he pulls off of Lawrence is one who's been caught like masturbating or yeah. something and he's like uh, what and he yeah. doesn't know yeah um and then uh they're they they shoot up this elevator shaft yeah find themselves on a rooftop it has that callback of there is no spoon when he shoots the thing it calls back to that kid oh yeah that's shoots right. the elevator shaft so he can go up with her yep. yeah and, uh, and I love the slow motion fire. That's my favorite explosion in a in any building. This side of Die Hard when he mm. draws the CO two down, but like that slow motion with the little with the door banging around in slow motion yeah, right really into good. the camera. It's so it's great. really good. Yeah, um, uh, we're up on top of the roof. The pilot uh, morphs into an agent. Yeah. And Neo turns around and fires at the agent, and we have the great multiple split <sighs> agent shot. So great, which is really cool. Which is only building up to an even cooler shot. The agent fires at Neo, and we're in bullet time. Yeah.
he leans back, and that shot is just amazing. But I love that he doesn't understand what's happening. Yeah. It's instinct, right? Yeah. And then he yells for Trinity. Well, yeah. it's ha- like just before he's about to start dodging these bullets, and then he starts dodging, doing his best, and he gets hit twice because he should get hit twice yeah. his first time doing it. And I got hit twice the first time I dodged bullets. <laughs> well, true story. Once you learn, <laughs> <laughs> you won't have to. And so it's just <laughs> so that's such a great situation that happens because it's once again it's these moments of vulnerability in these heroes, which is an, which is the late nineties, two thousands things that's been happening, right? This change in our action heroes of allowing themselves vulnerable moments. Stallone would have never said anything like that. Schwarzenegger would have never said anything like that. Bruce Willis is the beginning with Die right. Hard. That's the beginning of the change. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's the it's you know we've talked about before. It's the vulnerable, growing hero yep. versus the Arnold automaton right. already becoming hero. Exactly. Um, and then I love the next moment, which is the agent thinks he has Neo and then gets shot. Right? Dodge this, fucking Moss. greatest line in the fucking yeah. movie. Yeah, dodge this. Oh, it's so great, awesome. And I, at that moment, I thought we just killed an agent. Nope. No, we Those didn't kill bastards. agents. Um, we have to get. Uh, she has to learn how to fly a helicopter, <laughs> jump on the helicopter. So awesome. Apparently, this was shot throughout the whole filming because it's so complicated, the mm-hmm. helicopter rescue. So there is a set with a big cyclotron, which is just a big uh, image of the of the skyscrapers mm-hmm. of the cityscape mm-hmm. that's on a set. And they built a full-size helicopter to lower down in front of it that's not really a helicopter with... And then they also did model stuff, and yeah. they also did. Uh, I mean, there's just a ton. There's the real helicopter stuff. There's yeah. stunts over green screens. It's really, really complicated. Mm-hmm. And the great, like Morpheus, has to wake up, break through those chains. Yeah, that is amazing. It's so great that you know this, there's the imagery of a black man breaking yep. his chains. Ripping those things up, running, but then, of course, which is so great, the bullet time in slow motion, the rain is so great, yeah. running, and then you see the little the the bullets going through. Yeah. Like I love the the waves that they leave, and then it hits him, and you see the blood in the water, yeah. just brilliant. And Neo's realization he's not going to make it. Yeah, so awesome. Yeah, and things like the rain, we don't think about. It. It's hard. Is that you have to heat the rain? Oh yeah, because you're going to have cold. You're going to freezing people if you pelt them with ice cold rain all exactly. day. So you know all these little things, and yeah, that shot again. You know, uh, of him running out and them catching each other mm-hmm. uh, out of the helicopter is just full great action stuff. Yeah, and um, there's a great you know stunt, which is real stuntmen flying over Sydney, um, land the helicopter, and then the helicopter's going down. Yeah. I love the shot of the helicopter going down and Neo wrapping the rope around his arms. That's just like, oh shit, we've gone into superhero stuff now. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Helicopter goes down. Trinity shoots the cable that's holding to the helicopter, gets pulled out of the helicopter, which crashes into a glass building. Mm. They apparently spent months experimenting with different kinds of glass because that's a real glass explosion. Right. Oh, wow. And so they, they, it took them months and months before they finally found one that gave the circular wave of explosion mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. wanted because the Wachowskis were demanding of a certain level of thing and everybody was on board to do it. Right. You know, and it's just amazing to me that these second time directors were able to to pull that off. Yep. And you get the great swing away from the building and um and then they say you are the one and Neo's like, no, she told me I wasn't the one. And Morpheus says, she told you what you needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Now here's what I would like to relate that to. Okay. So the Oracle told him something and we assume that he's saying she told you what you needed to hear because her telling him that changed his behavior right mm-hmm. therefore that's he wouldn't have knocked over the vase if she hadn't said anything and we have free will 
Okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I will accept that. Um, okay, so we got to escape. We run down to a subway. Morpheus gets the first phone call on the payphone. And now Trinity wants to have a conversation. I was like, can we please, like, just answer the phone and get her. You could talk when we're back on the ship. But she seems to take quite a long time. And it's she's, not dramatically expedient. I understand. But can we move? Come on. Because we see this homeless guy is waking up. And yeah. then that homeless guy turns into Agent Smith. And Agent Smith opens fire just as Trinity gets out, destroying the phone. By the way, it's ironic, too, because it's the same exact situation with the truck. She also puts yes. her hand against the against the uh, oh yeah against the window at Good the beginning point. of Good the movie point. too yeah so it's yeah. A kind of a callback yeah. yeah and here is Agent Smith Mr Anderson yeah and again we have a choice because he could run away yeah and really our first interaction with the agents the choice was escape on the scaffold and run away yeah and he chooses not to run away and this time he also chooses not to run away for almost the opposite reasons right because he. Is beginning to believe, and this is like this Western aspect thrown in this Western, like old school yeah. westerns aspect thrown into this mo- this sci-fi film, which is why the Matrix is so great. It's a great mix of genres, and you see like the piece of paper going, the newspaper totally, going, yeah. which is tumbleweed essentially. Yeah, absolutely, so, the showdown, which is a great showdown, and they go into we go into a bullet time double mm-hmm. gun shot, and then we, uh, you know, the guns are out, and we go into just a crazy fight sequence. It's really good. Mm-hmm. I, for me personally, it's not as good a fight scene just in terms of choreography. Okay. As the dojo but it's a really good fight scene. it's still telling a story a fantastic story no too. question about yeah. it and and one of the most interesting things about the story is the dawning realization on agent smith that he's dealing with something he's never dealt with before yeah yeah and because even after he continue you know like he keeps getting hit mm-hmm. and he has the upper hand to some degree but only like with morpheus it was like he was 20 30 percent yeah and now he's like three percent better mm-hmm. if that you know, yeah. And there's this great moment where he knocks Neo down, and he really thinks Neo's done. And then Neo gets up, mm-hmm. shakes it off, and you see the fear. Mm-hmm. You see the moment of like, I I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah, Apollo had the same look when Rocky got back up. That's yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah. what do I got to do? It's very similar, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. very similar moment. Although yeah. I feel a lot more for Apollo than well, I do course, for Agent Smith. Um, but then he just then there's this moment gets throws him against the wall and there's the super fast punches and yeah. back on the Nebuchadnezzar we see the reaction of the real Neo yeah. spitting blood and it's pretty scary. So great, it's so great. I love that they went back to that to juxtapose what's happening in the yeah. real world, in the yeah. Matrix. Well, and he ends up on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agent Smith jumps down in the tracks and and I love the you hear that, Mister Anderson. <laughs> That's the sound of inevitability. Yeah. And of course we have. Leaps up, slams into the ceiling, drops Agent Smith down, does a beautiful backflip out of the Mm -hmm. space. Again, it's that really well done wire work. Yep. Um, And uh, Agent Smith gets hit with a train. So I guess that's done with him. I think we're good, right? So so you wish. Yeah. Train comes to a stop. Agent Smith gets out. (laughs) Neo's on the run. Once again, I love that the hotel is heart of the city. It's, it's the same hotel at the beginning of the movie. It's the same hotel at the end. Mm. Heart of the city. Yeah. Why? What is that all about? The heart, right? What is that oh, reference to, right? All these kinds of things. So it's this whole idea. And so you get it, and he comes. You're right. He runs around, gets into this whole thing, and he's trying to find the right phone, and all these agents are chasing him. We see the slow motion. Again, that that music cue which I love so well when he's doing something new in slow motion. Jumps into the garbage, rolls around, gets into that place. And yeah. you hear a Trinity say, you know, room three or 
Tank, is it Tank who says Room tank, 303, yeah. uh, all that? So, Who, by the way, is recovering really well from now, almost getting killed. He, he, he just got shot. in great yeah. shape. Um, and, uh, and then we have this great juxtaposition of in The Matrix, he's running from the agents who can turn into other people, which is really scary. So bad guys. awesome, yeah. Yeah, really good. And then we have the proximity alert go off on the ship because in comes a whole bunch of squiddies yeah. to wipe them out. And this is, you know, we can feel ourselves heading towards... The climax, and your culmination, and, and you, what you said earlier—the plant, the EMP things come it comes yep. in this moment as well, you know. And yeah, but but uh, Morpheus won't let go. He says he's going to make it. He's going to make it, yep. even though Trinity's more and more worried. Yeah, uh, he he as he's running through this place, he thinks he's gotten just to the right uh, place where he's going to use the phone. And who does he run into? Damn, Agent Smith. Shot point blank range right at his chest, and I love Keanu's reaction mm-hmm. of just kind of oh, yeah. You know, yeah, this has happened, and it's the, that, yeah. it's the end of Bad News Bears. Wait, we we lost. Yeah, it's that moment, right? Wow, first Bad News Bears Matrix comparison <laughs> in history, I think. But I think you're right. It's that moment. You're like, wait a minute. Oh, oh. yeah. I might not be the one. And then Damn. a couple more shots, and then a couple more shots, Ugh. and then more shots, and he's you know seizing up on the thing, and then he flatlines, and Neo's dead. Yeah. Goodbye, Mister Anderson. I forget what Agent Smith says, but it's something like, well, that's that, or something like yeah. that, and then walks off. Yeah. Um, but what's really, uh, what I wonder here is, how did he know what room to be in? Agent Smith. Agent Smith. How did he know? It's a good question. Did he keep hearing the sound of the... I wonder. I know. Well, because there is no room. I mean, that's the... Well, like, this is the, the hard thing of going like, well, what mm, are these phones? Great what's points. A fo- what's great a points. Fo- what's a phone line? Yeah. Like, why do they need a hard line? Yeah. What is a hard line? In a, and, and, and the reality is, is don't think about it. It's a fucking movie. You know? Like, that is, it is what it is. Yeah, Steve. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, it gets shot against the wall. <laughs> you were about to go off on me. You know, I, I wasn't. I was. <laughs> I, was just going, I was just going off in the idea of, yeah, they could have just uh, erased hard lines in the yeah. Matrix completely. Yeah, and then we'd be movie. okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, <laughs> Fuck and, you, Steve. Stop and, ruining shit for me. That's my anyway, job. Yeah, Welcome yeah, to the Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, uh, uh, and Morpheus is like, it's impossible. And Trinity knows it's going to be okay. Yeah, man. Because... If I'm in love with him, he must be the one, which is what she finally tells him, mm-hmm. ending with the, you know, this is Snow White, this is Sleeping Beauty, this, this is the kiss, and he comes back to life. I love that it's in reverse. Yeah. She's the Prince Charming. She's the Prince Charming. Right. And I love what she says, which is a Rocky Two moment almost, when Adrian wakes up from the coma and says, win. Yeah. She says, get up. No, get, get up. up. Yeah. Fucking love that. And he gets up, and you can, you know, again, Keanu's performance is great. It's so good. They Three agents open up fire. <laughs> I love the, just the curiousness of seeing the stopped bullets in front of him and picking one out of the yeah. air and then just kind of looking at it, then looking at the agents, the bullets drop yeah. and seeing their fear. You know, these creatures have never felt no. fear. That's I lo- They raise their weapons at the same yeah. time and then lower them at the same yeah. time. You're right. As they embrace the fear. Yeah. And then you see, and then you see what Neo sees, which yeah. is the, the descending uh, green uh, figures and characters are fantastic. Which is so cool because at the beginning of the movie, we saw Tank and Cypher mm-hmm. looking at the screens and they saying, and Neil saying, well, how do you understand all this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, now I kind of just see that's a car and that's a person and that's a this. And this is that moment in reverse. Neo right. in the Matrix now seeing the code. Yeah. He's seen code fly by. Amazing. And flies right. I mean, first, first Agent Smith attacks and he... One hand behind his back just blocks everything. I love that. And it's such a different fight than the fight that just happened in the yeah. subway, right? Because Neo, and, and this is a, a testament to Keanu Reeves' acting, he has embraced 
being the one, and it is peaceful. It is not, yeah, I'm it's, the one, no. or jumping around. It's awesome. It's like, oh, I understand. I'm above the need for the emotion in this moment. But what's to be emotional about? Exactly. He's, he's down, surrounded by ones and zeros. Right. Well, so a lesser person would have been excited that they can yeah. destroy this person. But for him, it's just, right. it just, just it's like breathing. Yeah. It's nothing. Um, and he flies into him yeah. and explodes him, which is a really great way to end a fight scene. And then I love the moment that he breathes essentially with the universe. Yes. The universe expands and contracts with his breath. And I also love the piece, the last piece of uh, Agent Smith's face going by the camera as he goes, ah, as he's screaming. The, if you catch it, if you watch it again, you'll see the last piece of Agent yeah. faces. Flies out at this. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And what we haven't mentioned is that now, throughout this whole sequence, the squiddy creatures have been yes. ripping apart the Nebuchadnezzar True. to the point where they're really all going to die. And their hand is right over the EMP, but mm-hmm. they're not going to touch it until Neo's back yeah. and waiting until the last possible second. He comes back, EMP, we've won. Yeah. And our final moment is Neo talking to the Matrix. And I'd love to that he flies. Yeah. Yeah, because he can. Yeah. Well, and what do you think, Steve? Do you think she he heard her? Because now he exists both in the Matrix and outside the Matrix. When she says Neo, yes, that's what wakes him up to run back and answer the phone. Yes, oh, okay. that's what I. Well, it, it's funny. I'll tell you where I thought the movies were going to go, but they didn't go right in this. In in this, which, like I said, I don't remember them very well. Is I? It was so obvious to me. Well, the next, the next step is to realize that in the real world, he can still be Neo. Mm-hmm. And have the superpowers because not because the world is an illusion right. or because it's all part of a program, but because of his expanding consciousness. Yeah, you know that's where I thought we were going to go, but that's not where it goes. That's how it goes, man. Yeah, that opening of Matrix Reloaded is such a fucking letdown. There are great action sequences in the film. Sure, and in there the are film, beautiful the, the stuff visuals. on the highway is amazing. The highway sequence is amazing. Yeah, but the stuff. The, why are they having a dance party at the end? Get the fuck out of here! Like that's. All of that was the Wachowskis going too far into their mania and creating lunacy. When being restrained was the better way to go. Well, and this is the thing, is that the Wachowskis, there is a really strong correlation for me between the Wachowskis and George Lucas. Mm. Be- and there's a strong correlation between Star Wars and The Matrix, mm-hmm. which is that George Lucas made, you know, uh, one indie film that no one really cares about. Then right. he made uh, American Graffiti. Then he makes this unbelievably huge movie. Yeah. And then he doesn't really direct a good movie after that. No. And I don't love the Wachowskis, other, any of them. I, I'm impressed. You don't like Speed Racer or any of that stuff? I'm impressed with it. Yes, agreed. But I don't like it. I agree. You know, and, and, and I, you know, they're extremely talented people. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating to see, like, for me, and, and I know some people like these movies more than others. I, I've seen a I don't think I've seen every movie they've made, but I've seen most of them. Yeah, yeah. And every single one of them has amazing things in them. Yeah, Cloud Atlas is an enjoyable film to watch for me, but it's also a bit of a jumbled mess at times. It's a, yeah, I, yeah, I can't get emotionally involved in that movie. Yes. I'm in, I, I go like, wow, this is fascinating. You're right. And there are lots of interesting ideas and lots of interesting visuals, but I don't really care that much. Right. Is that how can you be so on the money in The Matrix and then not understand... This is my thing with you know the Star Wars prequels. Is yeah. How did you not understand what was good about what you did the first time? <laughs> right. You know, like the the in in the sequels. What I remember is these long diatribes into philosophy. Yeah. I love philosophy. You know this about sure, me. Sure, sure, sure. But I don't need to hear a lecture in the. What's so good about the Matrix is they don't do that. Well, that's what killed Lost too. Oh yeah. The show, like it became, it became so enamored with all the different philosophies, never tied anything up. But someone said this to me once, and I forget. It was recently, actually. Uh, they were, we were talking about something Springsteen. Oh yeah, so I think something Springsteen said. He said, "You know, my entire life, I had, I could, I wrote uh, Born to Run, 
now I have to write a second album in way less time. Well, that's, that's, exa- that's, 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 that's exactly what, what, what they happens said. here. Yeah. Well, because they said they said we put everything that we uh-huh. loved into one movie, <laughs> and then then yeah. you shouldn't have done sequels or handed them off to other people like George Lucas did very smartly. Yeah, we yeah. found found a much better writer than him and yeah. a, probably a better director than he yeah. is to go make this. I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, I've never made The Matrix. I've never made anything sure, remotely sure, that sure. good, and so this is not like. You know, we go into this thing we said before of how's the view from the cheap seats. Right. But I do go like, well, how did you? I I get what's so great about this movie, and it feels like some to some degree they didn't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but also, to be fair to them, one of them was going through their change, stuff, yeah. and then the other one went through a change as well. Yeah. So maybe this was. It's hard to focus when all this stuff's going on inside you. Yeah, probably. of course. Yeah. Um, so, what are your final thoughts on The Matrix? Oh, my God. It's such a fantastic film. And if you haven't revisited in a while, you're just listening to our podcast because you watched it before, go back and revisit it. It still holds up. Like Steve said, it's an 18-year-old movie, and it's still as sorry, as prescient, as, as topical, as interesting as it was back in 1999. And... The performances are great. The visuals are fantastic. The score is everything. And the joy, you will rediscover the joy of this uh, film when you watch it all over again. And I think it's one of these that you can talk about in the top 100 films ever made because it changes filmmaking from this point it forward. Does. And absolutely, this, uh, this uh, Wu Young Ping, the guy who was the choreographer, he gets a bit abused in terms of like people overuse him. Right. Uh, but this is where he, he this and Crouch of Tiger and Dragon are my two favorite American, so to speak speak type films that he does choreography for so there's so much to enjoy in this movie there's so much to explore there's so much to unpack and when you and it's a film that you can go back to like all the great ones I've said this numerous times on this podcast all the great ones you can come back to 10 years later and get something completely different out of it and have completely different lines speak to you in different ways than it did before or you catch things and and they resonate with you in ways that they didn't the first a few times you watched it yeah so I I showed uh, the Matrix to my mom Oh, about, wow. a, about a year ago. Yeah. And she'd never seen it. And watching The Matrix with my 75-year-old mom, <laughs> she loved it. Yeah. Not only did she love it, but we had to stop during it to talk about, like, both to talk about what did that mean and right. what do we think about that, right. and also talk about, oh, my God, that looks so cool. Yeah. It is one of the coolest-looking movies of all time, Agreed. and it is one of the most interesting psychological, intellectual movies. And, and this is... You know, it's funny. I was thinking, does this go into the category of, of, of great movies that were in Hollywood? And I don't think it does Mm-mm. because I don't think people imitated this. Yeah. You know what I mean? They imitated small elements of it. Sure. But there's just nothing like this. There's nothing that is so confidently going to mess with your head and make you think about things in a different way while simultaneously giving you among the greatest action thrills and visuals in the history of film. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so that's what we think of The Matrix. As always, we want to hear what you think of The Matrix. You can visit us on Facebook. At the Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, on iTunes, on YouTube. You can leave comments on YouTube. You can leave reviews on iTunes. We definitely could use the reviews on iTunes. Take a minute. Visit iTunes. Give us a review. They really help us go up. You can also, as we said at the very beginning, support us on Patreon. And now you can go to our website. Every single podcast we've ever done is available on our website. It's yeah. at it's at cinephiles, C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S dot net. 
cinephiles.net, no the, but with a dash. And you can go, you can listen to every single podcast we've ever did, done, and you can buy every single movie we've reviewed right on that website. Ooh. We're very proud of it. We'd love you to check it out. And as always, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. See all the shows I'm hosting and co hosting, all the stuff I'm writing, all the stuff I'm doing. Just go and follow me there, and I love interacting with you all. So, yeah, uh, please come follow me. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Mm-hmm.